0: Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of Third Degree Burn. My name is Brian Hughes, and I'm here with all of my great friends. First of all, we have Tim Elliott. Say Hello, hi, Tim. Hello. We also have Kurt Greenfield. Good morning. David Thompson.
1: Hello. Top of the
0: day to you, Governor.
1: <laughs> so authentic.
0: And John Hyatt. <laughs> I. David you really threw me off there.
2: Uh,
3: uh, sorry about that.
0: Well, you know, we've got, excuse me, had to open that do.
3: And he's Brian Hughes.
0: I am Brian. H- I introduced myself.
3: <laughs> yeah, oh, but you I always do myself. that with your 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 pop top.
0: Uh, yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, I guess that is a way of saying it's me. We have got a great show coming up for you today. Um, I'm so excited for this. I've been waiting to do this for a long, long time. And I know that a lot of you have been waiting for us to cover this. Um, Of course, our last episode was the commentary on that much lamented movie, Days of Future Past, which I don't know about you guys, but even though it was such a departure from the the actual story,
3: I really enjoyed it. I think it's too lamented. I thought it was a good movie. It's a movie.
0: Yeah, I think they just get so much flack just because they're so different from the original story, which, of course, the original story is great, and that's what we're covering today. Yay! We're, We're covering the first issue of Days of Future Past. That's uh, X-Men 141. Is it 141? Yeah, 141. And uh, Tim is
3: going to be doing all the hard work on that, all the heavy lifting. But, uh, John, you were saying? Before anyone freaks out and thinks this is going to be a 12-issue run on one little story, as they are nowadays, it's
0: only two. Two issues, that's right. X-Men 141, 142. And, uh, again, you know, the, the story is so... Compressed. There's so much meat Gems. in it. I mean, I was re- rereading it, just well, the first issue of it last night, and I i mean, it took me a good while because I was sitting there absorbing so much, and I saw things I'd never seen before. And I'll talk about that as, as we get into it.
1: I've seen things you people wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Mister um. Batty.
0: Um, Now, do we want to do anything before... Well, I guess the the most important thing before we let Tim unleash unleash Tim is to kind of get everybody's own experience uh, when they pick this first book up. We're not talking about 142. Uh, we'll, We'll get to that in our next episode. We're just going to talk about 141 and what it was like when you first picked that up off the stands, the first time that you read it. Because in... Every comic that I had read, it was such a departure, and some such a what the heck is going on? So, uh, John, do you want to kind of give us your experience, or do you do you do you recall it?
3: I do recall it. I had a subscription to the X Men at this this time, which started with uh, X Men One Thirty. Oh, a fancy man with a
0: subscription. Did you also have a top hat and cane? <laughs> <laughs>
3: uh, well, it wasn't too fancy. I mean, they just came, <laughs> the, the magazine was just wrapped in a paper sleeve. That's right. it, the label on the front. So right. um, uh, there wasn't a much uh, uh, preservation, but actually, most of them showed up in actually very good shape. So I showed up. So every time the mail call, every time my mom brought home the mail from our P.O. box, and I saw that brown wrapper laying on there. I was so excited. What, which, comp, which, uh, subscription is it? Cause I had several, you know, I saved up my money. Uh, well, I worked hard for it actually. And, uh, uh, on the label, um, the code I'm was XME, X- <laughs> And then, uh, whatever on the label, I was like, Oh, X men Great. What's this? You know, um, uh, pulled it out and man that cover was like what the heck so this was really cool of course i had to sit down right away and read it (laughs) it was it was very exciting that's how i got it It was on the through subscription i couldn't wait to tell my friends david how about you
4: well as the youngest member of this podcast team uh i did not pick it up off the stands Mm -hmm. i want to say i read this i had to i I actually looked yesterday because i thought maybe it was in uh x-men classic but I don't believe it ever showed up in X-Men Classic because if you go and look at them chronologically, it's not there. They totally skip it. Oh, uh, interesting. You know, so I have to, I have to keep looking, but I looked through like the first 75 issues of X-Men Classic and normally they're printing them in order, right? Like 101, 102, 103. They skip uh, 141 and 142. So I have, to, I have to believe that I probably picked it up and and you guys probably remember these. Before trades became a thing, they would do like these little prestige editions, you know, of, of two or three comics, right, with mm-hmm. the square-bound, glued um, uh, the binding. I, I, that's where I think I read it, because again, in my early days, it was you know getting the five bucks from dad and thumbing through the quarter bins in the bottom, trying to find anything that was sparking my interest, or Superman or Batman. And it may have been in one of those bins for like a dollar or something. I think that's where I read it. But, you know, uh, so much of that stuff, the kind of obscure little side printings, there's no real record of them, you know, unless somebody has actually put them into a database like comic book realm or something like that. But I I think that's where I read it. And, yes, it was quite shocking because, you know, I was reading Jim Lee's X-Men at the same time and, uh, you know, pick that up. It's like, what?
0: now that prestige one was that the one that had the john remita jr cover of wolverine hiding against the wall
4: Pro- probably i don't have it anymore i mean that was i probably gave it to a friend or something i looked at my my expert long box and it's not in there
0: that's that's what i see i seem to remember that coming out and but i can't seem to remember any any other type of one that had anything other than obviously the amazing cover that they put on, on the actual issue itself, which is also in the trade paperback that I'm reading from today. Well, what about you, Kirk?
5: Well, as the oldest man on this podcast team, I have uh, a similar reaction to, uh, to you guys. I was out of comics for about eight years while I went to college um, and high school. And so I was out on my own, had my first apartment on my own, and was bored and walked down the street to a, a convenience store that was about two blocks away just for something to do, and there was a spinner rack, and I spun it around, and sure enough, this issue was on the spinner rack, and I thought, what? They're all dead? I couldn't figure it out, so I picked it up. I hadn't bought a comic for years, but this was the time that this was coming out, and also Miller's Daredevil with Elektra, And so I picked it up and took it home and sat down and poured over it, and it was—it just drew me in right from the beginning, and I thought it was such uh, an involved and carefully plotted story that uh, it was uh, the start. Unfortunately, it was just about the end of Burns' Run, but it was the start of my fascination with uh, Uncanny X-Men, the new generation, and I had to work back from there to get all the rest of the issues. So pretty dramatic uh the cover worked it did what it wanted but now as i recite this i'm beginning to think i wonder if burns intent was to say see this what had this is what happened when shooter killed phoenix she wasn't around to prevent this from happening but that's pure uh, speculation on my part
0: yeah i've got a couple thoughts on that subject but we'll get into that uh later how about you tim I a a late late comer to the party
1: i i well well yeah because i I, I've said this before. I didn't grow up cl- reading comics. I didn't start till I was probably eighteen. Philistine. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I don't remember. I, I like David. I thought maybe I'd read this in classic, but uh, I it would have been when I was when I first got into comics and I kind of discovered Burns. so I was collecting back X Men as best I could when you know back then a five dollar book was pretty pricey. Uh, so I don't, I think I had 141 for the longest time thinking I had both issues and I didn't pick up the second one until maybe four or five years ago. But so I don't remember how I read it. I must've read it in a trade like you did, David, uh, or some kind of collected because it's, these are like when you're, when you're before the internet and you're into comics, there's always these stories to hear that you've maybe never read, but you're aware of them. You know, Dark Phoenix, Days of Future Past, things like that, that just as a comic, you know, you're in that community. You you hear people talk about things, even though you never actually sat down and read the issues. So I don't know when, uh, I honestly, it would have been probably 85, 86, when I might have picked this up or picked up some kind of a trade to read them. And it's, uh, to your point, John, it does seem, because, because of the kind of myth that's grown up around this, you think this, this would be like a 12 issue. And it's like, it's two issues. That's it. But it's got, uh, so much story around it and, you know, good or bad, whether, you know, whether you like it or not, it's, um, it's kind of bigger than it's the sum of its parts.
0: Yeah. I, uh, I'll tell you, I mean, my, my memory of it was really, really vivid. Um, I was a freshman in high school, um, wasn't driving yet. And so I was, I would, whenever I wanted to get comics, I would have to walk down to the U Totem. It was about a half mile walk um, from, from the house. And so, you know, I would pick up whatever comic books I could get, what I could afford then and there. And I think back then I was drinking like RC Cola. So I would get a bottle of that and um, I'd be carrying all that stuff home and I'd be looking at the books to see what all I got. And I remember there was this, uh, I think the Amazing Spider Man had uh, Hydro Man in it. And I was looking forward to that because I was really enjoying Spider-Man at the time. And the cover to X-Men was just like, what the heck is going on here? Who is that with Wolverine? Because I, I just could not fathom that that was Kitty Pride on the cover. And why is Wolverine got gray hair? What the heck is going on? And everybody's dead or apprehended or what the heck? And as I read the book, I was just completely dumbfounded going what the heck is going on here? And then finally, you know, there's that, you know, the, the information of what's really going on as the story goes on and, you know, your mind just catches up. And, and, you know, I was just one of those that would sit there and just grab onto the concept and, and get sucked into it. And I was just like upset and, and angry with this because I didn't have anybody to talk to about the X Men. Nobody at my school, nobody at home, none of my friends up and down the street were reading comics like I was. And, you know, I didn't, I just didn't know anybody to talk to about these things. And (laughs) I, uh, I remember letting my dad read it. And my dad's like, you know, this reminds me a lot of, you know, some of the Star Trek kind of Star Trek stuff and, you know, other stuff that, uh, I saw when I was younger and of course I hadn't watched outer limits or anything like that. So I, I had no idea about Harlan Ellison stuff, but uh, it, you know, it just, again, it knocked me off my feet and I was so like, what's next, what's next, what's next. And of course we, we know what happens next, but it really blew my mind. And um, I mean, this is as dark as story. I mean, we, we just finished the dark Phoenix saga, but this is darker. If, if you could actually say that. And I was just blown away. Whew. Well, I'm done. How about you guys? <laughs> I do think <laughs> it's show. physically
5: darker, too. There's shading. Oh, yeah. And the entire first half of the book is all done at nighttime or in shadows or in the, the tunnels. It is it is physically it's, darker. Sets,
0: it sets the mood.
5: Yes, um, very well.
0: And, and the comic book printing at the time, I think, also helped that. Because when you look at like digital reprints of it now... Um, or, or the trade paperbacks, I think it, it, it does make it a little brighter. And I think that kind of hurts it just a little bit.
5: Yes, I agree.
0: Um, well, Tim, do you I, want uh, to uh, get started in there, Or do we want to maybe see what people on Facebook said about this first issue?
4: I'd like to know what other people's experience was well, reading
0: this. John, Do you want to? do you want to cover some of those?
3: Yeah, I got a couple. This is great. Uh, well, David Jessup had an experience similar to me. He said, I absolutely remember reading this at the kitchen table after getting home from practice. I had a subscription, and it was still in its wrapper on the table. Pulled it out, and it was a wow moment. Great story, great times. Uh, Eric said, unbeaten masterpiece. Uh, D.E. Watkins and John Cole are like the cover alone. It's still his favorite cover of all time. Um uh, uh, Gregory wrote in, I initially thought it was a kind of a what-if issue using Kate in the future to make contact with the past because young Kitty's mind wasn't yet trained to fight off psychic attack was a stroke of genius. I also thought it was buying trouble to have an a yet unnamed redhead doing the sending. Little did we know that this would be the start of a continuity time travel troubles for the X-Books for years. <laughs> <laughs> it's a
5: good comment.
3: Yeah, yeah. Yes. <laughs> There's a lot more, but we could probably filter those in throughout. Uh, but those are some of the initial ones. Um, a couple of people yeah, hadn't wanted, read it I until later, I want like to bring attention
0: to a couple though that that I got here that I, I didn't share with you. Now, what I'd done is I I'd gone out on the burn victims Facebook group and I asked everybody their their first impression from this issue. And so you know, t- uh, John there just read uh, several several of those, and we've got more to to cover. But uh, a couple that I got that really surprised me was uh, one of them from uh, Timothy Tuohy, who writes, uh, this was the issue that made me want to work at Marvel. Not only was I able to fulfill that dream, I was able to work with John himself. Now, I, I, I told, uh, you know, Tim, uh, you know, that we need to talk because <laughs> I, would, I would love to get him on the show. But, you know, I went on Mike's Amazing World and was sitting there looking over Tim's body of work and I could not find where him and John Byrne's work intersected. any of you are familiar with him? I'm not because I, I know again? The, Timothy Tuohey. I know that he was at Marvel from 91 to like it looks like 1991 to 1994, somewhere in uh, 1995 in that, that area. A lot of Marvel Comics presents work where he inked a lot of different uh artists, but I did not see where his and John's work. Um, Uh, And, of course, it could have been something later, maybe at IDW or, or, you know, something somewhere in between. But I just didn't uh, didn't see it. But, uh, you know, Tim, we definitely want to talk with you sometime if if you're listening. So, uh, you know, we'll uh, we'll have a conversation. And then another one that I came across that was really, really interesting was Robert N. Skir, S-K-I-R. And he tells us that he adapted the story for the animated series in the 90s. And he would be more than happy to talk about it if we want to talk to him about it. And I think, of course, that uh, the animated series deserves its own episode where we can discuss that. Yep. <laughs> I meant to revisit
1: that, but I did not. So I haven't. Did anybody rewatch the uh, animated? Not no, yet. Once
0: I, was I enough. To do, I wanted to do it between now and uh, the the second one. Of course, didn't the animated series, that where they introduced Bishop?
3: Yes, I, I rewatched it prior to the, the film when we watched it, because I just wanted to see how how well or how much of the adaptation in the animated series um, conformed to the uh, comics. Uh, but yeah, that's they brought Bishop. They, they kind of mixed in the animated series the, this original concept with the Bishop concept with the, I think, probably the Days of Future Past or Days of Future Present kind of stuff coming through. So they kind of pulled from all of the stories to make the animated version
0: well at least John got um you know uh residuals or something for that because along with you know being the the, the co-plotter and uh, on the story he uh he gets creator, um creator rights for Bishop because oh, he, yeah because he actually scripted the issues of X-Men where Bishop is introduced now I mean, he didn't uh write the plot. And obviously, he didn't do the art. Jim Lee did the art, but he was, you know, brought on to script the stories only. And since he scripted it, he gets creator rights. Hmm. So I found that interesting. Interesting, yeah. Yeah. Now, mm. Um, mm. <laughs> that being said, uh, Robert Skurr, we definitely would like to talk to you about that, and we'll probably bring uh, uh, be in touch with you rather soon. That is, if you are listening. I hope you are. Uh, so now. Tim, do you want to give us the uh, particulars on this book?
1: I will be happy to. Um, All right. As we said, this is Uncanny X Men one forty one, and our writer is Chris Claremont. Our artist co plotter is John Byrne, but I think he gets. I think this is really Byrne's idea.
0: Yeah, Cause... you could actually say <laughs> that that Byrne is the the writer artist, and Claremont is simply the scripter.
1: Yeah. Well, they've got him as, you know, typical writer, co-pilot yeah. artist, but I think it was the story is that Byrne wanted to do a Sentinel story and Claremont didn't, so I guess Byrne came up with the idea. Right. Our anchor is the uh, the amazing Terry Austin. Our cover artist is John Byrne. Our colorist is Glynis Ween. Our letterer is Tom orzowski Orzor- Orzichowski. Orzichowski. Uh, and our editor-in-chief, our editor is Louise Jones, and our editor-in-chief is Mr. Jim Shooter. Uh, we have a cover date of January 1981. We have an on-sale date of October 21st, 1980. It cost a whopping 50 cents, and there are 32 pages, 22, of course, our story. Uh, this is reprinted, uh, you can find this lots of places. It's reprinted in Uncanny X-Men Days of Future Past Number 1 from 89, Greatest Battles of the X Men trade paperback from 94, Essential X Men number 2 from 97, Marvel Collectibles Classic X Men 2 from 98, 100 Greatest Marvels of All Time number 1 from 2001, and Marvel Masterworks volume 90 Uncanny X Men volume 6, 2008.
0: Now I've got a reprint that's also a, a trade paperback that was printed in 2011. That uh, was an X Men Days of Future Past, and it was a, a a new production of it, and it's stunning.
5: Yeah.
0: So okay. it wasn't listed. It wasn't listed on there, but yeah, I noticed that.
5: Okay. What's on the cover?
0: It is a reproduction. It's the same cover as the issue one forty one, but it's uh, done in a much more uh, bronzish uh, sheen. Okay. And of course, it has none of the trade dress on it.
3: Do you have the? Is that the edition with one thirty eight through one forty three? Yeah. It's got. I think I'm it's also the, got the
0: annual, um, the annual where they go to hell.
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm reading the, the, the digital the version Ruben, of that. Yeah, yeah. Well, Brian, and, I, uh, I I neglected to put down uh, the uh, what was coming out the same month. So uh, you said you had that information, right?
0: Yeah. Uh, I mean, it was it was actually a lean month for John Byrne. Um, aside, uh, he did uh, Captain America number two fifty three, which is should old acquaintance be forgot. And, uh, and of course, that's with him going back and, and me- meeting the invaders again to find out about Baron Blood, I believe. And then, of course, X-Men 141, Days of Future Past. Um, he had no other, no other uh, books that he was producing at the time as he was gearing up for his run on Fantastic Four. So uh, that's, that's what he's got. Now, uh, one of the things I found interesting here was that um, this issue – uh, let's see. This is the last issue before the title is officially changed to Uncanny X Men, even though Uncanny has been on the title since like, X Men 114.
1: Yeah, which is why did, How would they anybody, uh, know that they officially changed it? Yeah, All right. well, yeah. I, uh, <laughs> I, uh, I'm gonna get don't get, don't get bogged
4: down in the minutiae,
1: <laughs> it's on the details. Sure. All right, our synopsis of the story, which is pretty dense considering this is one issue, uh, goes a little something like this. X-Men 141 titled Days of Future Past. In the 21st century, New York has become a nightmarish environment run by mutant discriminatory sentinels. Kate Pride, a mutant slave, is out in what is supposed to be a medical run when she is attacked by the Rogue Pack, human scavengers who hate mutants. She is rescued by Wolverine, who is now part of the Canadian resistance against the Sentinels. He has come to warn Kate that there are plans to launch a full-scale nuclear assault on America if the Sentinels are not stopped. I don't think that's actually accurate. Uh, Understanding this, Kate hopes their gamble works and is given the last component of a device Kate has slowly been smuggling to the concentration camp she has spent most of her adult life. When she returns to the South Bronx facility where she lives, she makes it through the Sentinel security sweep and walks past Cemetery the cemetery of dead heroes and mutants all slaughtered for trying to stop the Sentinel invasion. She meets up with her husband Colossus and the last surviving members of the X-Men, Storm, Rachel Summers, Franklin Richards, and Magneto, who is now crippled and relies on a wheelchair to get around. Oh, the irony. Uh, in his private quarters, the last of the X-Men in their private quarters, the last of the X-Men put together the last component of a device that would jam the power dampers that be- prevent them from using their powers. With her mutant abilities available to her, Rachel would then use her vast telepathic powers to send Kate's consciousness back in time. The date is October 30th, 1980, and the X-Men are in yet another training session in the danger room. Their newest member, Sprite, walks in unaware that the session is in full swing. Realizing the inexperienced X-Men is in the room, the other X-Men break their concentration to save Kitty from harm before Nightcrawler can teleport to the emergency shutoff switch. After Kitty is scolded for entering the danger room when a training session was in progress, uh, when, uh, when Nightcrawler tries to lighten the mood, Kitty instinctively flinches in fear. When the X-Men go to the control room to prepare for, Katie's, for Kitty's first danger room session, Nightcrawler admits that seeing Kitty flinch like that hurts when he is confident the girl will soon warm up to him. When Kitty's session begins, she concentrates enough to activate her phasing powers and walk through the obstacle course with her eyes closed. None of the traps that Xavier has set up to try and stop her from getting to the other side of the danger room seem to stop her, which causes the X-Men to burst with laughter at the fact that Kitty is easily walking through Xavier's obstacle course. However, when Kitty goes to the exit to exit the room, she is struck by some strange force and collapses. Uh, when they rush to her rush her to the infirmary, they scan her brain for a mental attack and find that her brain patterns have changed, having become more complex. When Kitty wakes up, she, is surprised, she surprises Nightcrawler by hugging him, and is happy to see him and the other X-Men alive. Kitty, or Kate, as she begins to refer to herself, shocks them all with this. She is really the she is really the mind of her older self from 30 years in the future. She explains she has come back in time to prevent the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants from murdering U.S. Senator Robert Kelly, Professor Xavier, and Moira McTaggart during a hearing on the potential dangers of mutants. Their murders would bring about the apocalyptic future in which she lives. Although the X-Men, except for Wolverine, are not so quick to fully believe this story, they decide to go and check on the professor anyway. Aboard one of Warren Worthington's aircraft, they fly towards Washington, D.C. Along the way, Kate tells them how this assassination would increase anti-mutant hysteria and by 1984, an anti-mutant president would be voted into the White House who would pass the Mutant Control Act. Soon, almost every mutant and superhero in North America would be wiped out by the Sentinels. The robots were meant to protect humanity; however, they soon they soon enslaved the entire United States. She explains how her friends in the future have sent her mind back to her younger body, so that she would have, as she would have been the only one who hadn't been prepared with psychic defenses by Professor X. At this point, she also tells them that the surviving X-Men in the future were also planning on shutting down the Sentinel's operation in North America in order to avoid nuclear war in case she failed her mission in the past. Back in the year 2013, Rachel, Franklin, and Peter managed to escape from their concentration camp thanks to Magneto sacrificing his life so they could escape. Carrying Kate's unconscious body, they meet up with Wolverine who leads them through the sewers in hopes of reaching the Baxter Building, where the Sentinels have set up their primary operations since taking over America. As they move through the tunnels, the Sentinels rip through the ceiling above to get to them. Their first blast kills Franklin, sederating his body. The remaining X-Men fight back and despite their ages, manage to defeat all of the Sentinels facing them before continuing on their trek to the Fantastic Four's old headquarters. Meanwhile back in the present at the Pentagon, Raven Darkholm enters her private office and reverts back to her natural form, that of Mystique, the mutant terrorist. She has gathered the mutants. Destiny, Blob, Pyro, and Avalanche into a new brotherhood of evil mutants for the purpose of assassinating Senator Kelly. When checking with Destiny's precognitive precognitive powers, Destiny informs her that some unknown factor makes the future hard for her to read. Despite this, and and despite infighting between Blob, Pyro, and Avalanche, they move on to enact their plans. Later at the United States Senate, the hearing over mutants is in full order, and Senator Kelly is questioning Moore McTaggart when the X-Men arrive in their civilian guises. When the professor telepathically asks them what is going on, Storm imparts the information that she gathered from Kate. Just then the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants smashes to the wall, and before they can attack Kelly and the others, the X-Men change into their costumes and step in their way to stop them. The story continues. Next issue. The end.
0: Time out of mind. That's a great title. It's huh.
1: yep. a great write-up, Tim. Yeah, Good thanks, job. Tim. That well, was that was excellent. I uh, I will have to admit I didn't I I I was short on time, so that is actually cribbed from uh, the wiki. Um, ah. So it wasn't it wasn't yeah, I did <laughs> if I had read it I might inject a little more humor into it, but I, you know, um, it's a little it's a little repetitive, but um, it's a dense story, you know, and there's a lot yeah. going on in this issue.
0: Yeah, and you know, there's a couple things in there that, um, you know, of course, were, were interesting. Like, if I remember right, yeah, uh, you know, Franklin, uh, the fact of Franklin getting killed the way he did was simply because the Fantastic Four office could not tell Byrne what Franklin's
1: powers were. Hmm.
0: Well, and I did. so, yeah, they so he's just like, okay, well, I'll just incinerate him so he didn't get a chance to <laughs> use his powers.
1: Well, it's interesting that what he would do with Franklin <laughs> later when he's you know, takes over the FF. Because yes. this is obviously not the same Franklin.
0: Hmm. I mean, he looks more like Hank Pym. But then again, uh, every blonde-haired, blue-eyed character had a, a similar
1: feature. Yeah, I going to look like all of them. Um,
0: but, I, I mean, just, again, the story is one that, that blows you away because you just... I mean, I, and Bernie even made the comment that Terry Austin does ink the best garbage ever.
2: That's
0: yeah. <laughs> but let's talk about the, the 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 cover. I mean, is there again? We've been talking about iconic covers, uh, and and you know covers that are aped and homaged. You know, we talked in the, in our uh, Death of Superboy uh, crossover with Back to the Bins, how that one cover of Superman not is it nine. Eight that was, uh, it's been reproduced so many times, but this one here on X Men 141, that cover has been reproduced so many times. In fact, Tim, you did a nice uh reproduction of it for our uh our commentary coverage. I yeah. thought that was, by I the way, if, if no one has said so, that was brilliant how you were able to work us in there. I, mm-hmm. I like the fact mm-hmm. that I was Keep I, using I, I the word know. us. <laughs> oh, David, <clears throat> you were behind Wolverine, he couldn't get you around it.
4: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm look
3: behind his left hand that's you david john there's no eating on
4: the podcast what are you eating
3: <laughs> i said look behind his left hand that's you david
4: mm-hmm. as you quickly try and scarf down your donut or whatever it is that's
3: right Did You're you like bring my, enough? You
5: sound like my kid did you bring it yeah. for everybody did you bring it for everyone
3: yeah yeah <laughs> that is a great cover oh my gosh um. Oh, try to change the top. <laughs> hey, I'm trying to move us along.
1: Well, I, I think uh, this is anybody familiar somebody. with the the band On the Run, Wings cover? Yes. This has yes. got to be. This has got to be an homage, not or at least it's got to be inspired by that.
5: Uh, there is some relationship, and I can't remember what it is, but I only recently discovered it, and then the light bulb went off. It's like, oh. <laughs> Yeah,
0: I I, I remember see, seeing and reading that. Um, my question is, what who is the R I S, uh, between uh, uh, Kate's legs?
5: Careful how you phrase that. Yeah, I know. I'm thinking <laughs> it's Roger Stern. <laughs> no,
0: it's probably Polaris. Polaris. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Oh,
5: sorry, I'm because you got Havoc
0: right next to her, so yeah, that would make sense. And um, uh, John Byrne's gone on record saying that he doesn't know who was behind Wolverine down there. There was really wasn't anybody. Uh, people have tried lightening the, the panel, trying to see if they could figure out, you know, what letters or whatever that was uh, in that. But uh, he he did not have anyone in mind when he put, because Wolverine covered it so uh, completely.
5: Yeah, is, so this has been
4: homaged, this cover's been homaged uh, to what I would say ad nauseum. Mm-hmm. There's so many, um, which just, you know, yeah, you can, I'm trying not to, go down the, the, the jaded path. But on one hand, you can say it's because of the influence of, you know, these books, and I'll just group, you know, the Byrne and Claremont X-Men, because at this point, anybody who's a comic person and has even a passing interest in X-Men has gone back and reread these in some form. Um, or it's just simply a cash grab, because everybody loves that cover, and so it's, you know, easy to homage, uh, relatively speaking. Uh but yes, it, 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 there's tons of, of homages to this cover, almost as many as probably like Superman number one, or Spider Man, uh, or Amazing Fantasy Fifteen. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, what's that other one? The
0: Fantastic Four two forty nine, as well as Superman that that Superman issue that that uh, where you see Gladiator holding the thing above him and Mister Fantastic in, in you know in front of him. That one's been done so many times with so many different various
1: characters well, it's been done by bird himself he's he's yeah. kind of copy himself so the crisis on infinite earth cover seven. super yeah. girl is that it, yeah. it yeah.
4: isn't
0: that actually a, an ape of x-men 136 because that's you know scott holding gene just the mm-hmm. same way that superman's holding supergirl well and
5: it's it, the pieta yeah it's the, yeah, pieta. It's, yeah, it's the...
0: I mean, there's an issue of Thor where Odin's holding Thor to the same way that was done years and years before by Kirby. So, I mean, yes, you can 127. say that's probably the first time we saw that the La Pieta done done that way. But this one here, of course, is so original in yep. its concept. I mean, even if it was Ape from the Wings thing, you didn't have that, you know, poster behind it saying who's no, slain no. and apprehended or it, it, this is weird. Because, you know, I'm looking at, at this. I, I need to look at my digital copy because I thought something was a little different.
1: Well, I, I will.
0: Uh... Okay, so it's it, it's not any different. I thought that there was something on Wolverine that, like said, at large, but I don't see that anywhere. No, Maybe that was from one of the aped covers that Probably. someone had done
5: something. Could be. You know, behind Wolverine, you were saying people were trying to figure out who was supposed to be there. As I read those letters at the bottom, it's G-R-O-M. As in Milgram. Uh, see, I can't
0: read that between the shade and the and the darkness there. Yeah, I can't. Oh, it. yeah,
1: It's too dark in mine.
0: But no, there's I've got a digital copy of the comic. You know, it's a scan. Right. And I I can kind of see that. But uh, so maybe it was uh, Al Milgram that he was. uh and he just doesn't remember all these years later. I mean, it
5: has been forty years. So. I mean, there's no figure there, but the 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 spelling something ends in R O M quite clearly.
3: Space yeah. Night Rom.
5: Yeah, I wonder <laughs> about that too. Was
1: Rom out at this point? Uh, yeah, yeah. Everybody's... Exactly. Well, at least in the in North America, we don't know what's going no, on. No, no, he's,
0: he's asking if the Rom comic book is out.
1: Oh. And, and I'm pretty I sure it is. Was it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> you know,
4: and it wouldn't be, you know, uh, anything uh, uh, different for Byrne, you know, or out of the ordinary for him to, you know, include, a, uh, you know, a subtle... Uh, I don't want to say a jab, but like, oh, look who I snuck in here. We'll see if anybody can find it. Right. You've talked about, I think in a few books where he's spelled stuff out in rubble or kind of hidden somebody up in the corner to see if anybody would find it. Just cool little Easter eggs. Well,
1: I'm surprised Mm -hmm. there's not a a picture of Shooter was slain somewhere on that, um, (laughs) on that back wall. There (laughs) probably was. (laughs) It's probably been edited out.
5: You know, I've also seen a recreation of this cover that has, uh, Mego figures or action figures for Wolverine and uh, Kitty Pride poised in front yeah. of this
1: yeah. this poster. Was that you had? Brian, don't you have this as like a big wall hanging or something?
0: No, I won it, and uh, there was a site that was doing it, but I can't find that site anymore. So I'm I'm like ah, but you know I always think about it when I can't afford it. So
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, just... I I'll admit that I'm not crazy about this cover. I know I understand it's it's historical significance of what mm-hmm. it is. But if I was listing my top covers, I wouldn't put this on there. Cause it's not, it's not, it, it's, it's not, te- it's, it's not technically difficult. Is that what you're, well, it's, it's not, I mean, but it's, it's, yeah, it's original. Cause it's not something you've seen before. It just doesn't right. do it doesn't do a lot for me. You know, it doesn't, I think it, cause it's kind of flat. It means a lot, there's a lot of behind Wolverine and Kitty who are kind of dark and everything around is dark. And the, the, you've got kind of a flat yellow, and you've got that pale blue, which I guess is supposed to be like a black and white photo or something. But mm-hmm. it just doesn't, you know, it doesn't. And I and I, I don't want to bury the lead, but but these two issues, I I, I like them, but I'm not in love with them. Heresy! Trade in I, your fern fan card right well, now. I call it, like I said, it's not. This is not a story that I revisit a lot. But David, do you that.
0: have that kind of same feeling at all?
4: a little bit i mean it's a it's a good story i think the the legend precedes this one you know so much so that when you do read it like i did a long time after it was published and right every you know old school comic guy when you go into the comic store was like oh if you read days of future past yeah um,
0: yeah i think that's it's you, you you've been star wars or casablanca on this it, it, since you guys right. didn't weren't in on the ground floor
1: I think, well, yep. I think even, or maybe that's it. If I had read this when I was reading them, possibly, but when I was kind of picking the, you know, when I, when you're, when you're trying to pick up back issues, you really can't, and there weren't a lot of reprints, you can't try to read them chronologically the way they right. came out. You have to kind of right. pick them up here and there. So you're reading all these stories out of, out of sequence. Right. Um, and again, it's, I thought it was, you know, it's an interesting idea. It's very kind of Terminator-like. Yeah. Um, but I think, to your point, David, is true, it's that the myth has gotten so big, uh, I relate it to to Watchmen. I like Watchmen, I think it's a good story, but I don't buy into this hype, the super hype of what Watchmen is, that, you know, it's now bigger than, uh,
4: it's, it's a story but, that you but, but, but have but the to pro- read problem The problem with any of these stories, reading them, in some cases, decades after they're published, is we're not in the same time frame that these were published in where you have these kind of superhero norms and and cultural norms around comics and what's okay and what's not. So like Watchmen deconstructing the yeah. whole superhero genre, right? Nobody had ever done that before. Kind of like, you know, the first, as a huge Batman fan, going back and reading Frank Miller's Dark Knight Returns, I'm like, why, why is everybody so you know, Gaga over this, you know, I didn't particularly care for the art all that much, although it was better than the second um, uh, EK2. But, you know, again, take a step back and it's like nobody had done that before. I think with these books in particular, because I'm with you, I've read them. I've read the story a couple times. You know, it's not, I'm not like Brian where I'm going to go out and get a huge wall hang. (laughs) I
2: think
5: they came
4: off your Christmas list. But I don't think anybody had done something like this before where it was like, oh, we're going to push you into a dystopian future where everybody is dead. And these guys are fighting to, you know, send someone back to the past to undo this horrific nightmare, uh, you know, that uh, they're now living in. Because, again, this is 1981. You know, you made the comment about the Terminator. The Terminator wouldn't come out for, what, another five years, six years?
1: Four years. 84. Yeah. An 84? Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh... Right, I agree. That's why I recognize the significance of what it is that there had. I don't think they had. I don't think up to this point they had done really any kind of uh, alternate history, or I mean, it right. is like a what if or a or else when. Uh, I don't think. I don't think we had done anything like that. Um, I'll not offer not a different
3: perspective, right. and I'm you sorry. know, piggybacking on what David was saying, you know, for me having been reading the x men all along every month for the previous you know 5 years or however long it was you know this was unfolding itself in real time so people reading it years later or decades later after so many other types of story configurations have come in and epics had come in yeah this is not a very impressive story possibly to them especially after seeing terminator you know, people are like, "Oh, this is just like Terminator, or just like Age of Apocalypse." It, and no, other it's comics, not.
4: <laughs> and other comics <laughs> doing this too, right? saying, you know? "Man, it's a good idea. We're going to put our characters in the future where everything sucks."
0: Well, I think David, and I mean not David, but John and I have a, a unique perspective from the rest of you in this, in that we were teenagers at the time that this came out, and we, I, I, I mean, John, you were what, fifteen?
3: When I was it came 15, out, and, and so Kitty you weren't Pride driving. Yet. A, Kitty Pryde yeah. was still a brand new character for us. We were just getting to know her. We didn't have the 30 years or 40 years that uh, other people who are just picking this up for the first time have of Kitty Pride. But there's also
0: the the effect of the fact that we we weren't driving, so we didn't drive to comic book shops. We got ours at like in my case the U totem or a drugstore, or you know if my parents took me to you know some place where they had them. You know, I get that, but it wasn't like I had this instant access and therefore I did not have a huge collection. So when I got new comic books, I read them and reread them, especially the good ones, and reread them ad nauseum yep. until I got something else. And so these stories were so ingrained in me that they they gained their own, you know, huge mythic spot in my head you know mythic epic whatever you want to call it and i think this happened to a lot of teenagers with those early books especially where the x men were concerned and and that's why there's this this huge thing about all that and then you know as they get older you know they look back and they'll sit there and say yeah as older stuff was better but that's because they read it more intently
2: mm-hmm.
5: like that also there there was a month delay between it so you, you as this would come out you'd mm-hmm. get this issue You'd read it, you'd think about it, you'd go back and reread it, and you wouldn't get the next installment for, you know, a couple of weeks, and so you were able to mull it over and think about it, and then the next issue would come out, and you'd back up and you'd read the first issue again before you read the second issue or after you had to see how it dovetails. There was a bit of digestion that was going on and contemplation that that is just lost on today's oh it's on the internet i'm going to order it it'll be here on wednesday and i'm going to get the whole run and read it all
3: in one that's like that's like everything
4: though like you didn't know what was going to happen
3: next right Yeah, we right. didn't even have most of us didn't have previews <laughs> or access to any kind of like this mm. is what's you ordering next month for
4: <laughs> right and and even with somebody not knowing exactly the story they you know it's not the end of the x-men Right. You know, the book goes on for another, you know, up to 600 issues. Yeah. The uncanny. X-Men. Right. You know, but for so you there's all, no sense of threat. Okay, exactly. That's a, that's a great point. That's exactly what I'm trying to say is that you get this book and you start. And I was looking at the issue before it and it was like the X-Men go and get, you know, the go find Alpha Flight or something like that. And, mm-hmm. you know, so the issue before it was just some kind of normal run of the mill X-Men issue. And then, boom, you get hit with this. And it's like, wait, what's happening? what's happening to the x-men are 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 they really going to be done
3: well i was going to comment on that because yeah when you look at the last panel blob is just uh, getting out of prison and you're like oh okay this is maybe the blob's going to be the next villain and and in a a sense he was but wow when you get to that splash page you're like whoa (laughs) this is this is way different (laughs) by (laughs) the
0: way i i'd actually asked burn several years ago what Blob's implosion trick was that got him out of jail. And he couldn't tell me. He couldn't remember. I was bummed about that.
3: <laughs> well, I think it was Avalanche. Because... No, uh, no, no. If, if you read
0: that, that issue before... That's when I got him out of the, jail. The very last page. Yeah, it, it's basically some trick. You know, it's uh, basically there's a trick that uh, the lawyer dame, he said, yeah, yeah, wooey, that implosion stunt that my lady lawyer taught me is pretty nifty. Looks like she's worth trusting after all. And that's what made the whole cell collapse on him. So apparently he'd used his own power somehow to cause the, that jail cell to implode on himself.
3: Well, but the Unless guy that That lady say, lawyer was a mystique and lied to him. It was really avalanche because, you know... Well,
1: the one guard <laughs> yeah. says this isn't any earthquake. So I thought... But he, the fact that he has, I mean, I don't, we're talking about the issue before this, but he he was sitting there. He said he'd been sitting there for, uh, you know, he hasn't budged in days. So maybe he's sitting there concentrating his, I don't know, mass power or something to, to, I always assumed it was somebody was blowing his cell, you know, exploding his cell and getting him out, breaking him out. But Mm -hmm. but, so yeah, yeah, all good points. I think, uh, I think reading it later does, uh, but that's true of anything. You can watch, you know, you watch TV shows, you watch movies, you know, if they're not within the time frame of when, and and you really can't do that. You can't go back in time and read something. So I can I can see if you're reading this off the rack, you might think, well, is this the new, the the new standard, you know, or is it? I mean, of course, because it, it, I think if if he had never left the future, maybe in this first issue, then you might think, oh, is this what the X-Men are going to be going forward. You know, is this Mm -hmm. going to be, but because he cuts back, you know, that there's, there's a mission that, that, that it's, and then you've got, you know, throughout the rest of the, of the run, almost, you've got this kind of apocalyptic future hanging over them. It's always, well, did Mm -hmm. we stop it? And it's always in the background, like, well, is it going to come about? And then when they bring, uh, Rachel into, uh, spoiler, modern day. What spoiler? Okay. 40 <laughs> years ago. Um, they bring her into modern day. Even that doesn't quite jive with the, the future we see here, because in that she was, she was used as a hound to track other mutants and she's not, doesn't look that way here. So that may not yeah. even be this future, this, cause this is what earth 81811.
0: 8-1, that, yeah. That's if you believe in the whole alternate timeline thing. And that that's Claremont's uh, invention because uh, and, and this is this needs to be said, is that as Byrne had plotted this out, his whole thought, his whole idea in this was for the X-Men to have a concrete win, an actual victory. Where you could say the X-Men won. They did it right. And I mean, everybody knows how the storyline goes. They 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 pre- prevent the death of Robert Kelly. And that changes the future so that you know th- that future should not exist But Claremont throws in, uh, number one, a comment about an alternate timeline. And then he also throws in the quote-unquote incestuous lesbian kiss at the end instead of just having the older Kate not exist anymore, which is what should happen. She should just blink out of existence. Katie Pride's mind returns. End of story. But because he threw that in there, that allowed him to mine those stories ad nauseum in the future forever. Now, be that, you know, at that... Accident, well, welcome to
4: the Days of Future Past Deconstruction
0: show. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, the thing I mean, is... Wait it, a it, second. It, I, I'm of two minds on this because, <laughs> you know, I understand what Byrne's wanting to do, and I agree that he should have gotten that. But at the same time, the last page of the second issue is a contradiction to what Byrne's saying. And then, you know, the the... The, all the things that Claremont did, I didn't nece- I, I always had a, an issue with this in the first place for the inclusion of Rachel, because it is so obvious to me that Rachel is supposed to be the child of Scott and Jean. And yet, Jean at this point was dead, really dead, as in an ex-mutant, an ex-X-Men. And so I did not understand how that Rachel character could exist. Because it was obvious that she was a telepath and a telekinetic, red hair. Okay, that's that's the whole idea. So that already raised the question, where did she come from? This did not seem to be their future. This seemed to be an alternate future already based on that. And if that's the case, then, then Byrne may have been changing his story all these years in saying that you know he wanted it to be one way when it's actually another.
3: Should we get into the book? Yeah,
1: there's
3: there, I got. Some. No, well, before we do, I, I just want to say, who's saying that that was a lesbian incestuous kiss? Because that's—I'm going to call bull crap on that. I mean, I seriously, really?
0: That—that that is just the the the. There's a. I mean, you can go all over the web, use "lesbian incestuous kiss" in X Men, and, and you will get dozens of conversations regarding the end of days of future that's, past.
1: That's that's people looking for stuff to. Yeah, so you're totally. Yeah, that's just that's crap. Come on, it sounds
4: like you yeah. I'm going to call bull crap on that. Ryan, how far down the rabbit hole are you? I, I can pull say,
0: myself back out. I can. <laughs> I can anytime I, can I want to, man. <laughs> no, we we can go ahead and and, and take yeah. a look at the pages because there are a couple things I I, I definitely want to point out.
5: Yeah, um, let's save this uh kiss discussion for <clears throat> next
3: issue. issue. Yeah,
4: yeah, absolutely. Let's, let's, let's put that in the parking lot.
3: Yeah. I, I just <laughs> wanted to. to to call B- BS on it right away because I think that's stupid, but yeah, we can move on.
0: Well,
1: this has, this that's has... why I
0: did use the term <laughs> quote unquote, because yeah. I'm not a subscriber subscriber to that. Uh, and we'll talk about that later.
1: Yeah. All right, go ahead. I would just say that, uh, as all time travel, uh, movies or books or stories, it has time travel problems. No, so I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll bring some of those up, but, uh, you know, we, we open it a nice, you know, uh, as Brian would say, a lot of argle bargle here. Uh, it's uh, I do like the way he's incorporated the 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 title yes. Days of Future Past, which looks like kind of like a billboard, or it's almost like something because he's in um, she's on uh, Park Avenue. It's very similar
5: was, to um, to the spirit of right. how they would incorporate it.
1: Well, Burn was mm-hmm. always good about incorporate way. He was always clever about the way he incorporated uh, the title into the into the, the artwork itself but this was uh as he, as uh, you can tell when it was written because this was the, one of the swankiest neighborhoods in new york
0: yeah that's a claremont's choice of words there yeah. just she, swankiest
1: yeah you know and what that guy's
0: got in his magazine table
1: we don't know uh, what she's got a box a red cross box but why why the get what got me is why it was sentinels i mean she's getting Obviously, she's not getting medicine for the Sentinel. She's getting medicine for uh, the humans, or the mutants, or whoever the, the biological people are. Why would they? You know, why would they send her to get? Because she seemed like she's on a mission by the Sentinels. They know where she was yes. supposed to be going. So why is yes. she? Why wouldn't they just go and get it themselves? And if they if they care that little about the the, the, the humans, it's beneath them. Well that was also My question
3: is if if and we'll and, get to And next. she's expendable. If she doesn't come back, they don't care. Yeah, but right. It,
0: the thing is is it, it, if they give them, you know, medicine and such, it keeps them working in the camps, you know? And so if if they're not going to kill them, they they have found a reason to keep them around. But that's that's so, another
1: thing. Why are the why are any mutants left alive? Cuz I don't you really don't see what they're doing. They're not uh, I mean, at least in the Terminator, they said that the humans are kept alive to run the crematoriums. Mm-hmm. So why are these? Why are they, any of these mutants? Uh, they're not allowed to breed. Uh, one, you think they'd be that the the sentinels would sterilize them, but why are they? Uh, why are they allowed to live at all? Unless it's medicine for the humans. Maybe she was getting medicine for the 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 H's. You know, the the humans without any clean with you know no genetic yeah predisposition but anyway she gets attacked by some um uh, outtakes or some outcasts from the road warrior the roads <laughs> these guys are uh dressed one he's dressed as uh kind of like an american indian with a mohawk it uh, looks like
0: robert conrad from baba black sheep with <laughs> a mohawk
1: and is he wearing the quantum bands Look what he's wearing on his wrist. <laughs> <laughs> it kind of looks like it. Who pierced his ears? Is there a Claire's? He's the also future?
0: got. He's also got something around his neck too, that <laughs> that you know made me wonder about that, like or is that a and, like a bandolero yeah. or something?
4: No, it's in the next page. He's got. It looks like like gold coins, like you know, like a yeah. thick yeah.
1: necklace kind of. Well, coin. it would be you know, if this Very was a little thug-ish. dark, it would be a, uh, a necklace of mutant ears. But, okay, um,
0: now I'll tell you this right now. I never noticed this until last night. But if you look behind the rogue with the mohawk, you can see Wolverine pulling up the panel to come in and save the day. Oh,
1: I didn't notice that I either. I never
0: noticed that. Wait a minute.
5: Oh, yes, I see it. That's cool. Yeah.
0: In the shadow. I mean, again, I've been you know reading you know reprints or floppies or whatever, and maybe it was just too dark. But in this one, it seems to be brightened up a little bit. And so I, I, I noticed the image of him right away. And I'm like, oh, wow. Cool. And then, well, of course, you know the other guy in the top hat. That was just, you know.
1: Well, this is very the Warriors like. They've all got kind of a theme. You know, they're mm-hmm. all dressed. You know, when it's, and they, they, you know, what they are. They say they're they're humans, I guess. They're humans that hate mm-hmm. beauties. They also don't like the Sentinels, but they don't seem to be fighting back against the Sentinel rule. They just seem to be gangs that. Are,
0: yeah, they're just. Gangs exerting power in areas where the sentinels don't go.
1: Right, yeah, they're they're kind of yeah. they're bucking the flow, but they're not they're not trying to change things. They're just uh, and they kind but of. It's
4: very, it's very possible. Burn was inspired by the Warriors because I think that came out the same year as Born, seventy nine.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm.
0: I, I, I do love this. Uh, the guy's name is Big
1: Alex. <laughs> yeah, they got real, <laughs> real tough names. That guy's Robo, Big George. Alex, and George. <laughs> and, <laughs> So the
0: one guy's got like Larry from Three Stooges' haircut, as far as I can tell. Sometimes an
3: accountant is still just a, an accountant, no matter how tough they try to be. I'm George.
0: Now, <laughs> <and of course laughs> I, I, I love the first image of Wolverine where he's standing there in the light. <laughs> you know? <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> After Enjoy having
0: it. taken out those those guys. But I, it's really funny because he's getting into a fight with this guy, and he really takes him out with a, a kick and one blow. But the thought balloons around him are so much that it would have taken like five minutes to think all that, that he that he does. Though, of course, I always thought that the thought balloons are representative of what the thoughts mean rather than actual word for word translation.
3: And one thing that I thought was interesting here was he's like, oh, in the old days, I'd have simply cut the punk. But doing that would tell the Sentinels Wolverine's back in town. So interesting that. Somehow, Byrne is connecting the activation of his adamantium claws because they weren't boned then uh, to his mutant power of some sort. Or maybe I, it would be I, that.
4: I thought it was a forensic thing. You know, that's, that's right. They know, could tell. Guys sliced.
0: I but do love course, Wolverine's gloves. There, if you look in that one panel yeah, close up, you can the see the three slits. Well,
3: maybe maybe the activation would be his his healing factor. Hmm. Uh, when he What's retracts that? them, his healing factor would start. Maybe that would put him up on the screen. Or, of course, like you said, yeah, the uh, the fact that they would be uh, sliced to pieces like
1: baloney. Well, he doesn't kill them. I don't think he just seems to knock them out. He doesn't uh, yep. yeah. He doesn't seem like he's going to kill them. But I will say also I like the way Byrne has drawn uh, Kate. He's done a good job of making her look like an older kitty. Uh, and it's similar to what we talked about on our Superboy podcast, how Byrne was could draw a Superboy to look like a younger, an actual teen. He didn't look like uh, an adult. Uh, well,
0: you know, it, it's funny because if you look on the front, the the cover, the the shot of Wolverine and her there, it, it really looks like Wolverine is protecting Sigourney Weaver from Alien.
2: Uh, yeah.
0: <laughs> you know, and, and that's who Kitty Pride was was modeled on. Right. Uh, but here, the older Kate Pryde in with the hair pulled back and all that doesn't look like... Um, like like Sigourney Weir it looks more like uh one of uh, Ultra Boy from Legion of Superheroes.
4: Yeah, her eyes uh, bother a, as me. a
0: girl. The bigger <laughs> eyes and yeah.
4: the older older um, kitty pride, like the yeah. one, two, three, the the second panel or the first panel in the second row. Even as a you what know, I read it as a kid, you know, I looked at her eyes and her
1: eyes to me are like, me. Nee. Creepy <laughs> eyes. <laughs> they're, they're they're a little anime, yeah. 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 <laughs> yep. So Wolverine gives her this uh the MacGuffin, the little whatever yeah. it is the, the thing that she has to uh spark plug exactly Jam. to uh, the part of the jammer and then he runs off and i guess he is uh and i guess i didn't pick up on this when the first time i read it that i, I he keep he...
4: that by the way <laughs> i'm just
1: saying same place uh, off, uh, stuff. same place uh them, kept that watch from uh <laughs> <laughs> oh god all <laughs> fiction uh, I always thought Wolverine was with them. I didn't. I guess I didn't pick up that he's now he's gone to Canada and he's fighting with. Uh, so, I, th- and this is another question I had: is okay, the Sentinels have taken over all of North America, but, but the no, rest, just the
0: United States.
1: Well, they keep saying North America, but like the United States, yeah. But yeah. Canada, Mexico, everything else is is uh, they're they're worried that because the, the, I guess the Sentinels are, are staging to take over the rest of the world, which I think they would probably have done by now. Um, uh, it's that, you know, it, that's that trope of the computer takes over and the best way it can protect humanity is to rule humanity. So mm-hmm. they're going to go out and just, you know, round it, which also I would think that wouldn't they have, if they're, if they're, I can understand them enslaving humans or basically controlling thinking, you know, for, you know, the best way for me to protect you is to basically control you. Wouldn't mm-hmm. they be, ha, wouldn't it not be quite a dystopian wouldn't the humans live in a little better uh, conditions, and the mutants? I can they would be in the concentration camps, but the humans I would think because when she leaves Wolverine, she catches what she calls the, the 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 tram, and it's basically a bus being pulled by horses. So right. it's like there's no advanced technology except for the Sentinels. But don't you think that they would allow, allow the humans to? They may. They Society may like gives
0: a, up. Society gives up.
1: Why? Well, my, my problem with this
4: is, where is the rest of the world in all of this? So they just let this all unfold and just sit back and watch?
2: Well, because they did that test last four years. War II
4: history. Right. <laughs> but that only lasted, what, three years? And then the rest of the world got engaged. I mean, we came in later than that, but we also weren't ready.
5: I'm world wondering, War II uh, was cooking Tim. for about 12 years. I mean, yeah. it, it wasn't just 1941, it began. Things were deteriorating and changing in in Germany in the late 30s, and everybody knew that war was coming for easily five years, if not ten.
4: Wasn't that because of the draconian uh, treaties post World War One, where I mean they were literally like burning money just to stay warm.
5: Yes, their economy uh,
4: had, had crumbled completely.
5: Right, and also each time Hitler would promise. Or make a pact with with some other uh, entity or force, he'd violate it. So it was just a matter of okay, we'll never invade. Next year they invade, and so everybody could tell that you can't bargain with him. That he's going to continue to expand. But we're getting off topic here. Yeah,
3: <laughs> hey, but yes, Jim, to, that's, your, that's, to your that's... question, I was wondering if uh, maybe the Sentinels made a determination that the ultimate problem for mutants was humans because. Where do mutants come from? Well, from humans eventually. So maybe they thought keeping them with the humanity in subject subjection, that that was the best thing to do to prevent future mutants.
1: Right. That's why I think they would they wouldn't allow any mutants to live. I think any mutant would be dead. And obviously, they you know, the ones they can't catch, but they've got these in custody. They got Magneto and Colossus and Kitty. Those, Those would be put to death, I think.
3: And they also didn't have a story.
1: (laughs) What true, (laughs) I I know. They're playing Pokemon with the mutants. They got to catch them all.
5: Yeah. (laughs) And also, it's easier to to attract the others to try to rescue them when you have bait, when you have some that are still alive that they want to get their kindred people out and free. If you extinguish them all, then there's no reason for Wolverine to come back.
3: Plus, you also have a you have an example to give to the humans. This is why we're still here. If they eradicated all mutants, then humans would be like, well, we don't need you anymore. Right. Well, it's
1: too, yeah, late, so by, it's too late by then because they've already given the, the, the Sentinels have already taken over power. I mean, I
3: think. Mm-hmm. Of America, um, but not the rest of the world. Well, true. And so there's still the potential for mutants around the world. So there's probably multiple layers as to why they would keep mutants around. Or they might even think at some point, like what um, Magneto did in Elswin to try to harness them uh, for their own ends. So now we're we're
0: on page five, and you, of course you see the horse-drawn bus, and you see like Kate is is on the bus, and there's all these other people there, and and a lot of them have the letter H on them, mm-hmm. and of course she's got the letter M on there, designating mutant. Now mm-hmm. Claremont threw a third one in there a for anomalous human a normal person possessing mutant genetic p- potential forbidden to breed but you don't see an a on anybody in there because burn never gave that designation at all that was just something that claremont threw in
3: no that that guy on the left the back seat there he has an a on his jacket
0: who are you talking about the back of the jacket
5: the, I only the, see guy, back-
3: the guy on the left far left um on the back seat he has an a on his jacket
5: on the far left, <laughs> I'm not I'm, following I'm, this.
0: I'm, yeah, I'm looking at multiple copies. I mean, there's the guy with that's holding the rail that's got the big H on the back of his jacket. Is he to yes. the left of him?
3: Look at the one sitting down on the back behind the two ladies. And He's the extreme left. On, on the left panel, yeah. Left I don't panel see the it. Jacket, There's an A there. I don't see it. I don't see it. It's there. No, I don't
5: see it's it. It's been added then. Because it's yeah, not we don't there. See it. I
3: don't... What,
5: what, what copy
0: are you reading?
3: <laughs> the Seriously. We're... I'm just saying that because you don't see his left panel doesn't mean it's not there.
5: <laughs> All right. <laughs> other On the other end of this panel, the extreme right, in my digital copy, there's a guy who's hanging onto the bar above yeah. the words forbidden to breed. And he's got a, I don't know, a round head. But what's emblazoned on his chest? It looks like L-E-X. What? On the extreme right-hand end of that yeah, same yeah, panel. The guy that's
0: in the onesie? Yes. I, on? I just see an H, oh, but it's onesie. kind of rumpled a little bit, that's all, because he's heavy.
1: I think that's just the fold in his clothes. Yeah, <laughs>
0: that's just, that's it's an H. Okay, I, it, I can't make a, it out, but I'll grab it. he got I'll a big a. H because he's a big guy. All right. And, um, so
3: going into the burn detail, I think it's cool how the people sitting on the bench are whispering, pointing, looking, wearing you can masks, just wearing that
0: face
5: masks,
3: <laughs> that they're just talking about there's a mutie on the bus. Right. You know? um, and they must know that muties are sentinels uh, or, you know, they, they work for sentinels, so they don't do anything to them like the normal people. But they do whisper and talk about it. So that little bit of detail is kind of interesting to me. Yeah.
0: I don't know about the rest of you, but the green jumpsuit she's wearing is growing on me. I, I'd like the green and black jumpsuit look. I think I'm gonna go go with that every day.
3: Is that gonna be your cosplay for Comic Con? I don't know. Yeah, that's yeah, regular right, yeah. life. That's that's what you <laughs>
0: <laughs> that actually would be kinda of cool. But you know, finding those boots, I don't know. Yeah, the that's question that's I have
1: good. is I mean, I guess the mute the, the sentinels didn't care, but who why would they allow them to do all these graves to dig these graves and put these gravestones up? I mean, would they,
0: would to, they continue... to, to take, take your hope away?
1: Yeah. Again, it's, it's but that too... you're, but you're assigning emotions to these Sentinels. They're doing a much more okay. of a cold and calculating and logical, you know, they're, they're, they, 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 it's like Skynet. They, well, of course Skynet just wanted to kill everybody, but it's, they think, well, if I'm going to protect you, the best way to do that is I'm going to, I'm going to, rule really you would like an iron fist
3: so i don't think they're um other they, way they don't have the emotion they're they're doing right. it to, to put the people that are left to as a reminder to them and they don't realize it strengthens
0: hopeless. the resolve
3: yeah they you know the sentinels were created by humans so there is an amount of probably something in there that
1: yeah.
3: that they realize and they well, understand so, logically that humans would be put into a hopeless state by seeing having that constant reminder
1: well, to Kirk's point, if, if we corrected a lot of this stuff, he wouldn't have a story. So we, yeah, we, we yeah. could kidding. Now, the next
0: page, of course, is where we see the older X-Men uh, no, and no, Magneto. No, no,
3: don't go away yet. I want to look at those those tombstones because tombstones? When, when I first saw this, man, I read every name. Who was yes. gone? Let's go and, through them. And, okay. It was, and it was, and it's kind of impactful even back then to me. And kind of now, when you think about it, when you think these, these, all of these characters are characters that I really cared about at the time. So I was interested who was there, who wasn't.
0: Yeah. I like the fact that even with a few letters, you're able to gleam who it is. Like the very first uh, one I do, I mean, if you go to the far right of the panel, you can see, of course, Hank McCoy. Yep. And then right behind there is P-E over P-A for Peter, a Peter Parker.
5: Partner. Oh, okay.
0: Yeah. And, and so, I mean, then, of course, the other names are a lot more apparent. Um,
5: Kurt Wagner. I mean, yep. Warren Worthington. Bobby Drake. Scott Summers. Reed Richards. Lorna Dane. Charles Xavier. Susan Richards. Ben Grimm. I can't make out the next one, and Johnny Johnny Storm Storm. is the last. You figured it had
0: to, well, we already had Reed Richards, so. Right. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah, you can't make out that one. It's really just a couple squiggly lines.
3: Yeah, I don't think it's supposed to be.
1: Well, at least least the grave, the uh, cemetery is not as segregated. You know, they've got mutants mixed in with the, the regular superheroes.
0: Now, if you look at the front cover, though, you know, of course, you've got all the obvious ones that you can see there. And if you you also you can see Magneto where it shows him as being apprehended, you see the helmet. And then I have to assume that's Quicksilver right there behind Wolverine since it's right next to the Scarlet Witch.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And then Wolverine havoc, Banshee, Polaris, and Al Milgram. <laughs> uh, looking at the the other picture when well, actually, we're not there yet, so I'll keep quiet on that. We can go ahead and move on then.
1: Well, Kitty, you know she she meets up with the rest of the of her former X Men, um, and we do see in the background in the middle panel you see in Sentinel looks like he's hurting mut- mutants or humans or something. He's got a big stick. I don't know what he's doing there, but uh, I always thought Rachel, one, she looks very downtrodden here. She looks with her hair. She looks a little bit like. Uh, Oh, from New mutants, the the Wolf Girl, Ren, not Renee. What's her name?
0: Wolfbane. Ran.
1: Ran. The way that you know she they, they always in the early issues always did her hair kind of spiky. Yeah. Uh, and she commented that she can never do anything with it. That that she looks a little bit like that here. And then we've got, of course, her and her and uh, Franklin are I guess a couple. Yep. Uh, mm-hmm. And actually, Magneto, had he been de-aged in the regular? Because he doesn't look that old here. Yeah, the rest he, of
0: he got deaged before I started reading. Uh, by uh, wasn't it the stranger
3: no, or no, it, was it was some be, other alien? It was the alpha mutant in Defenders, right? Um, and then Eric the Red,
0: yeah, Eric the Red then re aged him up
5: to physical prime,
3: right? So, <clears throat> so he would be like maybe
0: 30,
5: younger. yeah, yeah, because Katie, who's Eric the Red? Eric the Red was originally revealed to be a non-diplume for um, Cyclops. Cyclops. So who's Eric the this, Red?
3: But this Eric the Red was a Shi'ar um, yeah. agent of De Ken. Yeah. Yeah, Kirk, everybody knows that. Sorry, I don't know <laughs> what story that's from. That's from uh, the original Phoenix Saga, or the original uh, Phoenix a- aspect of things, when Lil' was first introduced back in, like, uh, X-Men 97... Uh, I mean, Eric, I didn't know either. I forgot how Eric, how, or how this Shi'ar person took the Eric, the Red, but he somehow he looked at tapes or whatever and took Cyclops's Eric the Red uh, persona and then created it for himself. And then was an agent, a Shi'ar agent on Earth of Deken, uh spying on the X-Men. And uh, kind of uh, the hint was back then was that he was manipulating. Uh, corbo uh, or Stephen lang when they did the um were creating the sentinels up in space that the x-men went up to in x-men 100 and then that's when then they came back that's how we got phoenix through that okay uh, that eric the red was a shiar agent
5: thank you you're welcome
3: and that's when they gave polaris that terrible shiar costume
0: so if, if I'm, I'm sitting there doing a little bit of mental math here and I'm assuming that Magneto is probably, you know, back in the days of the X-Men, he was aged up to about 30. Yeah. So Kate being uh, Katie was being 13 in 1980 uh, would be, mean she's 46 at the time of this in 2013. And Peter would be about five years older than her. So he'd be in his, you know, his early 50s. Magneto would then be in his early 60s yeah.
2: mm-hmm.
0: or middle 60s. So, and again, going through whatever he probably, him being in a wheelchair is just a matter of irony. Mm-hmm. Okay.
1: Well, we get, next. Could... Well, well, they we kind of, this is the introduction to everybody. And Magneto says, well, we need to do something because the rest of the world is going to get together and uh, I assume nuke the uh, United States to, mm-hmm. to stop the Sentinels. Uh, and I guess they are worried that the Sentinels will retaliate, so they're thinking the whole world's just going to go up, uh, you know, in a nuclear mutual fire. Mutual d-
0: assured destruction. And then we which, get
1: little... which is a bizarre response, right?
4: We know that mutants exist in other countries. Why, you know, the United Nations, as it were, you know, relocated. I, I'm assuming some people got out. They wouldn't just put, put pull together their own super team, to come in and deal with this you know just overwhelm the sentinels you know their, their plan like, is to yeah. just
1: nuke the united states that, that gonna... was the
4: best plan that was the one that won
1: well they, the the sentinels are very uh, uh like jingoistic they're like uh, we're not gonna you know we're just gonna deal with uh, we're just gonna deal with the united states we're gonna you know not until, I don't until think
3: later. we
4: don't we don't ever get a count right so we don't we don't know how many sentinels are running around do we
1: you don't know. And that that's the I think that's the one of the problems that I think the world that, that they've kind of this future world they've created is pretty interesting, but we don't honestly don't spend enough time with it. We don't know mm-hmm. uh, and you know, do I want a twelve issue series that tells how this started and kinda of ends yes. where this point yeah, I think that would be kind yes. of interesting. With, with fifty variant covers, please.
0: <laughs> I wonder who those four mutants are that the the sentinel is walking there in that middle panel.
5: I see that. <laughs>
0: is walking along and it's got the four mutants. You, you wonder who they are. You exactly. know, it's like the X-Men or the, the ones that, uh,
1: it's multiple. yeah, Mad- all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah the new yeah. mutants. <laughs> yeah, it is a new mutant. Uh,
0: so that to, to
4: go back, Tim, that would make more sense to me. If we get more insight at some point, which they probably will do a series, but if it was, look, there's thousands of them. We've assembled all of the mutants that are remain in the world. There's just not enough to deal yeah. with them. You know, we have we have no other choice.
1: Right. Well, what do I,
0: you think I, about <clears throat> them calling Magneto like like Colossus calling Magneto old friend?
1: Well, it's been thirty years now. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Apparently, this and is in, the, and, and the, the there's first. There's also. Go ahead. So I
1: just say this is the first issue I think that he's referred to as Magnum
3: or Magnus. Magnus. Yeah. Magnus. And just remember, Brian, the old adage: the enemy of my, my enemy is my friend. Yeah.
0: True, true. And, and, yeah, if you look at some of the, the stuff that, that's laying around, as you as you see for later in the issue, that things really started falling to pot around 1985. So when the Sentinels took over, they took over and everything just went to crap right then because they had signs up for 1985 out there in the public.
3: And but, deep down, Magneto is thinking, this is what I warned you about. Yeah.
1: Well, the, the, the next page where we get, we get kind of a tender scene with... Uh, Kate and Peter which yeah. they, which up to this point was kind of hinted at and of course if you read on you know that she you know they do kind of develop a relationship that they're married and she makes a comment that the Sentinels had killed their friends and they killed my babies so obviously they oh. had a, yeah they'd had children together and then the, right. the, the the Sentinels I guess took over so at what point did they uh, how fast you know, to your point Brian how fast did this occur you know you know if it if if the the anti-mutant guy was elected in 84 and then 88 i think was the mutant act had they started to have kids and then the 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 sentinels gathered because obviously they wouldn't are allowed to breed once they took over so again so that's
3: i don't know where about that falls in, in. That, think about it in the way that hitler did in germany he didn't just put people in concentration camps and gas them in 1933 Right. You know, he created them to be an enemy uh, or he created Jewish people to be an enemy of 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 the of the economy and of the people. And then and then they huddled them into uh, ghettos and took their businesses away. And, Mm -hmm. you know, you slowly add these things on because that's how people get on board with that stuff, because you just amp it up a little bit at each time. And then all of a sudden, you know, there was a lot of. German people or Ger- people at the time who just thought, yeah, we'll just we'll just put them in camps. That will be better, you know. And even in America, we did that to Japanese people and, and and to Germans. And, you know, so you just add a little bit at a time. They didn't probably automatically take over. It was probably years before it got to the state where we're at in 2013 here. There's right. a
4: great book, and I have to say it before I forget, the, um,
3: by George Takei.
4: They Called Us Enemy. It's right. a graphic novel retelling of his family's experience um, being put into one of those camps because that is a he was great Asian. Graphic novel.
0: Is Allegiance the play based on that, or is that a, a different story altogether? Do you know? I guess not. Okay. Because I know George also is a producer of the play and star of the play. So, I mean, where's,
5: where's, uh, where's Magnus referred to as Magnus?
0: It's later on when they're crawling down through the uh, subways. Okay. Thanks. Subway tunnels. Yeah,
5: but uh, so yeah, they
0: it's funny because in that top left corner panel on on that page where Kitty and or Kate and Peter talking, he kind of looks like older Ben Affleck, like he does in Batman v Superman, just not as, you know Ben doesn't have as much gray.
3: Good point. I was gonna say that they did a, he did a good job at making a difference between young Peter and older Peter. Yep.
0: Yeah, you just give him the, the Reed Richards um, highlights there. Yeah. <laughs> gray <laughs> hair highlight.
3: Yeah, the, but I think it's Stan more than Lee. that. The, the yeah. face actually looks a little bit different than the well, yeah, expressions, it, and I think he does a good job at...
0: And then of on the I'm previous sure page, if you look at that, where, where Peter's standing there, yeah, he's full, you know, standing up, but he's hunched, hunched over like someone beaten down, you know? He's not standing at his full height proudly as Colossus would. He is a man that's you know lost his hope
2: yeah
1: well any kitty he, he, even when they're they're having the little moment he she says well if we change things we may you know this may go away our marriage you know we this may disappear. <laughs> little does she know <laughs> well and you know to their point it's like you know the good of the many outweigh the good of the few so it, it doesn't matter if if you know but she says you know if we're meant to be together it'll happen no matter what and then she says you know i i uh, I loved you from the very moment we met. So, so that's interesting that they know. And when, then of course she's, she lays down and, um, Rachel, uh, you know, zaps her mind back to where she pops into, then we just, and then to me, this is where it kind of, I wanted to spend more time in the, in the future. We cut back to the present and this, this danger room and why they're all in there at one time. I don't know. Um, and they're all doing the danger room scenes have always been so crazy because they seem like, who's paying for all of this uh, damage? Because it's not Boring. like...
0: This is all Shi'ar <laughs> technology now.
1: And it just does it rebuild itself because it's always... Yeah. Whatever yeah. Wolverine goes up against, he trashes. Colossus, whatever weight he's going to... he's Whatever his test is, he always breaks it. Uh, it's not just dodging... Uh, you know, bullets or dodging something it seems like the thing has is in a constant state of repair but
0: and it's it's always angel that screws things up for everybody else too lately because oh. he's he's out of practice and in the, in the previous issues the lindigo issues you know he, he caused trouble in the danger room because he was out of practice and here he's not thinking about how the computers will you know automatically follow him yeah and so, you know, the missiles that were going for Angel are now going for Kitty, and Storm has to get her out of the way. Well, but, I they, mean, this is...
1: That's the thing, is, you know, they yell at her for, you know, she she kind of just stumbles in. Hey, what's going on? And they're like... Why is that door always unlocked? Yeah, yeah. well, isn't there a... Uh, you know, <laughs> She's a there's red a red light safety, out there, but safety even Cyclops
0: has, has, has nearly walked into this door... Uh, regardless, you know, forgetting that it's the door to the danger room. I mean, th- th- you know, they, they got all this incredible technology there, unlimited technology, thanks to the Shire, And yet, you know, they they can't even be bothered to put a lock on the door.
1: Well, go to
4: Kinkos and get some signs printed up.
1: Well, that's yeah, what he says. Exactly. He says that door is yeah, always but, that door is always yeah. unlocked. Oh, why is a it? Why does he say it's always unlocked? Yeah, that door is always unlocked. Why? Don't you think oh. it would automatically lock whenever they initiated a session? They haven't
5: figured out that she uh, scrambles electronics when she walks through them
1: yet.
3: That's and right. And so
5: it's unlocked only because she passes through it, because she affects it. But I don't think she
1: phased through into See, the room, that, that could, that been in.
0: That could have been uh, a line of dialogue he threw in there. Instead, he he writes this that doesn't make sense. Again, this is, this is Claremont scripting that, that says that.
1: Yeah, but at at one point later they say there was a light on or something. You shouldn't come in here when the light's on. Yeah, like, uh, you think it'd be like on a on a stage, you know? You got a light that says "closed set" or whatever. But in a way, it's 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 just maybe
3: maybe she hadn't read her manual yet, or welcome to the X Men manual. Apparently not. Um, you know, I, I think it was. A, I I love this page. I think it's. Uh, I love the perspective. I love the uh, the Green surprise of The, Maruro, the... But, and you could see her, or just in the dialogue there, her, you can't see her face, but I, to me, it sounds like, oh my gosh, uh, the door was unlocked. I just, you know, how you would think when you're just like, what the hell are you doing here? You're just like, uh. <laughs> That, I get that, that sense of um, tension and that sense of uh, stumbling that she has over it. And I thought that was really interesting and um, I, I i really think this is a great page i, I yeah. really
0: it's cool but at the same time you know and today with today's sensibilities you're looking at it going why do they have it like this
1: <laughs> well why is but, nobody why is nobody i mean this is this monitoring? is an old
0: this is like a kirby thing you know well nightcrawler's supposed to be doing something but he's cleaning up tables at breakfast
1: yeah well that's, why, the that's why she's strong. coming in there because she's telling him that kurt's you know gonna be late or whatever uh you know, it's just it's an excuse to kind of introduce Kitty and, and get some action scenes and, um, you know, to show her, which I thought was a little on the nose that she she kind of recoils a little bit from Kurt. from Kurt, because I guess she's, you know, because of his appearance, maybe he's a creepy looking dude. I mean, uh, if... are you kidding me. Yeah, that girl is cool. She has not she has not recoil yeah. from the guy that can turn himself into a giant metal thing. But she recalls from the guy. He looks
0: human, and she says he's neat looking. Oh, I see.
1: Describes him, Kirk. So she's prejudiced against non-human looking. uh...
5: Exactly. Mm. Remember, she's thirteen. And she just
0: just joined. She just joined, and he's got fangs. Come on, but Wolverine would creep me out, though, (laughs) probably more than Nightcrawler. Well, yeah, I think Wolverine.
1: You get that kind of, uh, yeah. I think we get a weird vibe from Wolverine, but uh. yeah
0: but it, it's not a bad bit of dialogue kurt talking about it and then you know that that you know from a friend from a fellow x-man it hurts you know and, and it's a natural you know if if you continue to read on uh the books in there you know after kitty fights the agari demon and basically destroys half the half the mansion that, you know, the X-Men, they give her a bad time, but it's bec- through that that hard time and the things that follow afterwards that her relationship with Kurt improves.
1: Right. Well, it, it reinforces... Turn. It reinforces Kurt is always uh, worried about this because he is outwardly... Uh, he looks different from the rest of them. The rest of them can pass as human. He can't. So yeah, he was always... The image inducer. Right, he was an image inducer. And there was one issue where uh, I think it's Wolverine says... You don't need that, you know, turn it off. And he decides to turn it off and kind of walk down the road as he is. And there's, you know, there's some negative reactions. But I think that just reinforces how he's a little uh, self-conscious about the way he looks, even though he's probably the, you know, probably the, outside of Peter, he's probably the gentlest of all the X-Men. So it's just kind of, and also it's a nice contrast for when she wakes up as Kate that she gives him a big hug because she's so right. excited right, that right. he's still alive. So that now,
0: so on the panel um, here, where Colossus goes to catch her, did he bend the thing as soon as when when he was just trying to get away from it? Is that where it got bent, or did he do that already? I,
1: I don't it's know, I kind of. It was, I think he was already bending it, but uh... yeah.
0: And then when the, when the, the the big pile driver thing is coming down on them, I love the way they used the the zipatone. I'm sure that's Terry Austin that did that. I'm sure Burn probably There's just shaded it in. Yeah. yeah. But that was that was one of the things Terry Austin and um, Bob Layton were all, always really good about their use of uh, of uh, zipatone. Maybe Bob Layton was a little bit too liberal, but Terry Austin was always uh, very judicious
3: i like the the two panels with kitty and colossus uh the two right ones the one where he's catching her and the one after the pile driver has been stopped and they're sitting under there the dialogue is to me is very human real and very you know fun not fun but you know just kind of like am i in trouble peter am i going to get yelled at (laughs) probably if you survive (laughs)
2: yes
3: (laughs) i survive." and then you know um Were you frightened? Uh huh. I also. I mean, it's to me, it put um, some realness in there that was very interesting. I I like. I still like that. I liked it then when I first read it, and I still like it now. To me, it it puts a level of I don't know humanity to the characters that sometimes I think is missing in other stories. Sense, yeah. Not just the X Men, but just the quiet
0: moments help you connect. Yeah. Yeah. Now if if you go to the next page of course we get to see katie's first try in the danger room the official try in the danger room now the funny thing is is that if you if you watch it there's a lot of kirby stuff in here the the little uh big shooting pillows
2: mm-hmm. and
0: the doc Ock arms and then the um, thing that, that that closes in on her from both sides. Of, you know, we're straight out of Kirby's book. If you go back to the very earliest issues of the X-Men, I believe you'll see all of these uh, in use
1: cool. in the
0: danger room. I
1: wonder is how much damage with the the two padded things that come out the side and if she hadn't been able to phase, how much damage with I mean, I'm sure they're <laughs> well padded, but still, she it's been just beanbag,
0: <laughs> beanbag material. So you know, it's not too bad. I don't know. I think that would might be get bad. a vinyl, vinyl uh, scratch or something like that. <laughs> What's funny though is they say, okay, they've got it on the lowest setting, so it can't hurt her. All right, and then the the at the bottom of the page, the caption says, "The Danger Room does its level best to stop her." No, it doesn't. It could have stopped her, you know, gas or you know. Some other type of uh, of, of method. Well, no, I guess gas wouldn't necessarily work,
3: gas yes, wouldn't work on but the, it, but does, you know, I mean, it the does its that, level best, it's at the lowest level, yeah. It's I guess level one best. it does its best, it's best, right. best within that level. To but, stop. But we've, seen enough, of
1: we've seen enough holodeck episodes,
3: we know something can go wrong,
2: um,
1: yeah. And they, and, you know, of course, they're all gonna get a big laugh at it. They're, you know, again. They're monitoring her. Why was nobody monitoring when they were in there? They were all in there, and they should have been somebody. And I don't think I was supposed to see Kirk. I think he was doing the dishes.
0: Yeah, it's um, just an automated program. I guess, but... Yeah.
3: Well, their experience level is probably...
0: And Storm is later. She's probably feels like she can manage in the field. She's trying to show that she can you know, manage in the field without having to, to I guess, micromanage.
3: Yeah. I love I love that that's that panel up there. everyone's having a good time and they're probably just chuckling at uh, Wolverine's uh, comment you know yeah Charlie spent weeks programming the room. <laughs> she did it with her eyes closed
0: <laughs> she she yeah she had her eyes closed. I love the expression on the previous page where she's sitting there with her eyes closed, her lips clenched yeah and all you know is that she's just phasing the entire time as she's walking through the room. And you know why didn't Professor X make it any harder than that? But I guess that's to to help you know make her feel better about herself.
4: She's thirteen. He's slowly building up her confidence. I mean, yep, you can't come exactly. with the razor blades and saws on the ground yeah.
0: first go go up. But, go through. but if you notice, there was one more trap on her that she did wasn't aware of. Because as she's opening the door, there's a brick wall there. I'll bet you there was a force field there too.
1: Well, she probably because, just walked to the brick wall.
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, again, you, we, we don't know what would have happened because this is the moment that she gets zapped and the future self takes over, takes her over.
1: And they react to her, I think, the reaction seems to be more severe than when she was in a danger room they thought she could also get hurt. They really freak out. And all she does is she kind of collapses. and yeah. um, Then, of course, they rush her to the... Uh, um, infirmary. To the infirmary. And, and you notice that Storm is kind of, you know, she's she's the one that earlier said, uh, hey, hit the panic button. I'm ending this session. She's the one that seems like she's monitoring uh, Kitty. And then she's the one that's giving uh, commands to Kurt to take her to and why he's running, uh, why not just teleport And she her.
0: does say that she shut down the room systems the moment that she reached the door. So my
1: my yeah. thoughts there are, prob- are definitely
0: wrong then. But it makes me wonder why we see a brick wall Behind the door that she's
1: opening, Katie's opened the wrong door. I don't know. That's the. I know. <laughs> yeah. But I, it, what I'm saying is, is uh, Cyclops is gone, and already mm-hmm. Aurora is kind of filling that leadership role that she'll take later. Um, that she's kind of well, naturally she stepping. She
0: is leader. She has been promoted but, to leader at this point. Yeah,
1: I know, but she's naturally kind of stepped up to um, to to be the leader. She would, you know, we would see later. Um, then we get a lot of, you know techno babble about her having
0: from wolverine
1: yeah yeah he's like, she's got more complex <laughs> <All> brainwaves <laughs> and i i will say this that it's it's subtle but burn has done a good job but when kate takes over he's kind of changed her expression to where she looks a little older she just yeah. looks doesn't look like the the 13 year old
3: kid she are you on the next style. page now yeah when
1: yeah, they're but... the infirmary and and uh
0: yeah. I love, of course, the look on Nightcrawler's face and how Burns drawn the pupils in.
3: Yeah.
1: <laughs>
0: when, when she hugs him, because, like, yeah. what the heck?
3: Yeah. Yeah, you're right, Tim. Uh, Byrne does do a really good job at that you showing, can tell. even though it's in the teenage body, the yeah. expressions and the things definitely are different than what Kitty was.
0: And, of course, it- Claremont has to script it in there, too, by saying, you know, Wolverine's thoughts. She looks like a kid. She stands, talks, moves, smells. Yeah, I don't. Like I a woman.
1: I didn't get that. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how that. I mean, I could understand if his instincts t- would tell him that this is a a different person, but I don't. Yeah. I don't think her pheromones, her 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 sense, gonna change. But above that, yeah. when she's talking to Aurora, when she says, "Oh, you know, you're just, you know, you've been, you've had a heart shock. You know, basically, you're hallucinating all this," and she says, "I, you know, I'm concussed and losing. Is that it?" He goes. It's funny. I remember you telling me that uh, the har- the hardest part of this operation would be convincing you of the truth. So it sounds like she remembers going through this and Aurora saying the exact same thing, which means that she's repeated this timeline.
0: No, I don't think so. No, I think no, that's, just, no, no, that's no. just Storm telling her in the future yep. the hardest part is going to be convincing us of the truth because it's okay. so fantastical. I'm re- I'm, yeah, it's okay, so fantastic.
4: it, it is so yeah. fantastical. I mean if that, if that happened right, nobody would believe you, you know, it's so out there, you know, the best thing that she could have done. And if I ever get a chance, I guess, I don't know how to tell my, you know, like give like your, your ATM pin is, you know, five, six, two, one, eight, you know, like, you know, or something you know, like how would you even convince yourself that you're You're you from the, yeah. From the future. And you have to
5: tell them something that nobody else experienced, or that nobody else was around to to witness.
4: And that's a tall ask, right? Yep.
1: Well, it's like uh, I don't don't watch The Office, but I'm sure you're probably familiar with it. There's a there's a bit where uh, I can't remember the it's Krasinski, whatever his character's name is. He hacks into Dwight's fax machine and has been sending him faxes, supposedly from his future self. Oh (laughs) yeah.
2: Yes.
1: Now this this
2: this
0: next page, of course, has got you know the description of the future, and this the sign the the political sign is the one that sticks is stuck in my head for years. It America, it's 1984. Do you know what your, your children are? are? Yeah. Because of course it was playing on the old you know it's ten o'clock. Do you know where your children are? Which is something they would put on TV every night when I was a kid as a PSA. Mm-hmm hmm Because back then they just let us go out until the street lights came on.
5: Right. Yeah. And that PSA worked so well.
0: And then you've got the this, of course, shot of Sentinels all lined up, ready to go, and then all the dead people. And who wants to list off everybody well, that's there that, that,
1: that well amongst them, well there yeah, there's Bass and Wanda and Cyclops and Daredevil and Iceman and Professor X and who's the guy that looks like I guess that's Angel, Nightcrawler, Spider Man, mm-hmm. Cap, Black Panther, Torch, Iron Man, Thing, Vision, Reed Richards. I guess that's Susan Storm. Mm-hmm. Is that Ghost, Rider, is down that Ghost Rider at the bottom? Yeah, <laughs> the Hulk. I mean,
0: you you wonder how did they kill? How did they kill this? How did they kill this? It's kind how of how of did like they kill Doctor Doom?
1: One, he's not in America. You know, unless he's no, he, he, he you was, know of. Well, he had true. a. a, a the
0: Latvian embassy in New York, and he—that's where he was hanging out.
1: Yeah, uh, they know. couldn't because
0: really and... he had diplomatic immunity. But the sentinels don't care about I don't, that. I don't. I
1: don't. I think don't think you're gonna. It. Yeah, you're not gonna catch Doctor Doom like that. He's gonna. uh, yeah, fifty-seven Doom bots at any. Yeah. don't worry. <laughs> it was a Doom bot, so I, that's probably right. Doom bot Maybe he's the one that's gonna nuke the rest of the world.
0: Yeah. <laughs> now, of course, the the next page is where we go back, back to the future, and they're in a the subway, Tim, not a sewer. Because the sewer would be full of other crap. Not and all we've seen cool him do
5: stuff. that before. In what? One thirty-two? One like, thirty-four? Yeah, one
0: thirty-two. Like, like So that Turtles? those those sewers actually had like electronic and computer piping and everything. It, it was uh, that uh, Wolverine cut through.
1: Well, that's why I made I made it, uh, sure yeah. I didn't write that that synopsis.
0: Ah, true, true, true. Sewer, I sewer,
1: subway.
4: Dis- already distancing yourself
1: from it. That's right. That's right. Yep.
0: This, of course, is the first real gut punch. I mean, I don't know how you guys reacted to it, but when Franklin gets scragged so quickly, so unceremoniously, it was like, holy cow,
5: anybody can die any moment. Right. It was a real shock for me.
4: Yeah, he is a sacrificial lamb looking back to show the seriousness of what's happening. But it it
0: also was so they didn't have to show how his powers were. Yeah, that too. His
3: power is apparently not fireproof. I mean, yeah, at this point, we didn't know what Franklin's power was because they were shut down so early, you know, in the in they the 70s. They don't know what his
1: powers are right now, John. His powers <laughs> fluctuate. He's powered, he's depowered, you know, he's no, Omega he's level. he's universes
4: right now with his family in the current Fantastic Four run, well, post-Secret War. And they
1: established that he's not, didn't recently uh, slot established he's not a mutant, that he had made himself used his powers to make himself appear a mutant. Uh, And that's why he couldn't he couldn't join the others um he couldn't join uh another reindeer games. Right (laughs) yeah. Well he couldn't he couldn't hang out with the other mutants because he wasn't uh No he's
4: different. It's it has something to do with, you know, uh Reed and Sue being exposed to the cosmic rays and
1: Where's the goat?
0: But you know, getting getting back here because I know you know David, you've got your birthday party coming up. Um, the uh, the Sentinels, of course, reaching over into the the subway area, and uh, the light coming from it after it's you know vaporized Franklin, uh, and you see you see three Sentinels total. But that light coming in the way they've done that, and uh, the extra zipatone around the Sentinels, it just. It's like, oh my gosh! Yeah, again, this page right here was the first one. that I mean, while you've been shocked with everything up till now, this right here just kind of like kicked it into gear and said, "No, no, they can die. Be ready."
1: Well, and, but, and, but and we're, we're coming first... up. But we're coming off the heels of Dark Phoenix, where she allowed herself to be vaporized. So it's not. Mm-hmm. It's not like uh, they haven't lost before, or lost people before, but right. And, and of course. But Richard, you you've hardly met the guy, you know. I, I just say it didn't right. it didn't hit me very well. I didn't I didn't really react to it because we hardly knew this character. It wasn't like uh, you know spoilers but the next one when uh, when Wolverine gets you know uh, vaporized. But
4: well, I mean, it, it it is there is a little bit of the Linda, Linda Hamilton Terminator grabbing the fence. Yeah.
1: When yeah. He gets, oh wow. You
4: know you know when he gets cooked there because he's like oh
1: well, and then, yeah. but the, I think what hits harder is that Rachel says, you know, she felt him die in her mind. Because I guess oh, they yeah. had the rapport like uh, like uh, Gene and Scott. Right. And then Storm says, you know, basically you suck it up, you know, we're going to have to, uh, you know, we still got to work to do. And then she, I don't know how Use she this does something.
0: Telekinetic ability that looks very, very much like what Gene Gray did
1: mm-hmm. to little, the Sentinel. Yeah, it looks a little it looks a little phoenixy, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh,
0: now of course here you see Storm attacking uh, on this next page. You see Storm attacking a Sentinel with lightning, and she's saying that you know basically it's too well insulated. And Colossus has to throw Wolverine via fastball special, which this is one of the most gorgeous fastball specials uh, because he's in that that bomber jacket. <laughs> I just I just think it's cool. And Wolverine slashes open the Sentinel's head, uh, giving enough opening that, that that Storm is able to. Uh, to do whatever, it's I it, it, it guess it's supposed to be a lightning bolt, but it looks like something else. It, it is a lightning bolt, and I guess that's the explosion mm-hmm. around it.
2: Mm-hmm. It
0: almost looks like Nightcrawler teleporting in.
4: <laughs> I do like the next panel. <laughs> I, just as, as a joke side, you know, like, here comes three more Sentinels. Like, hey, guys, what's going on over there?
0: <laughs> Billy, Billy hasn't checked in for a
4: while. <laughs> well, what the Colossus is
0: just taking down the building.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: That was really cool. And there's the 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 sign. It says new for 1985, meaning that everything went to pot pretty quick.
4: As soon as Oldsmobile got killed off, because that that totally says Oldsmobile. Yes, it does. That's right. Well, and that's,
0: what they, that's,
1: the that's, the that's what they made all the cinnolds out of. They scrapped all the cars.
0: <laughs> the robot <laughs> screams are frighteningly human. Which I always wondered about that, but they've there's something like when Burns represented the Sentinels, there's always been like a, a an almost human characteristic about them, uh, but, even in his X-Men. But Oscar. I think
1: that takes something away from him because they need to be more Terminator-like because that was the whole mm-hmm. idea of the Terminator was that it had, you couldn't bargain with it, you couldn't reason with it, right. you know, it was just going to, it was just, it was a machine following its program, so. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Uh, there's no RoboCop. Yeah. He's not making decisions on the fly. Yeah although they are like when the previous one he's when he tells the uh when they first rip into the the subway he says uh your advice to surrender or face immediate termination it reminds me a little bit of ed 209 you know you know please put down (laughs) your weapons or i'm gonna shoot turn this thing off turn this thing off sorry um we made it through halfway
4: through the book in about two hours so we're doing good yeah. yeah,
0: but now next we're at the interlude at the Pentagon where we meet Raven Darkholm, otherwise known as Mystique, and the new Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. And I'm sorry, you know, I understand it's for comic books, but I never understood the name Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. You know, just why would anybody go about saying, hey, we're evil, but it's okay? Right. I mean, you know, they should just be the Brotherhood, like like they were in the movie. They just called them the Brotherhood of Mutants. But how
1: are you going to distinguish them from the Brotherhood of Good Mutants? You gotta right. have you gotta have labels, come on.
0: Or
4: well, the Brotherhood of kind of neutral mm, mutants. Yeah. Agnostic mutants.
5: <laughs> Is this <laughs> the first time that we've seen, um, uh, Rogue, or not? Not Rogue. Uh, Mystique. Raven. Yes, Mystique. Thank no, you. No, she's oh. been
0: in, in Miss Marvel or Captain Marvel magazine. No, uh, that
3: was writing. Marvel. She was in Miss Marvel. Miss Marvel. Yeah. Chris Clarmont created her and had a storyline that I think he was going to go with which i would love to have seen developed but then they canceled the book
1: mm-hmm.
2: See,
3: i like this mistake so much more than the the ninja mistake
1: we get in the films i like her as a as this ruthless leader who's you know she's uh, into septifuge and she's behind the scenes and uh, she's not uh, but maybe-
0: here she's coming out with the with the brotherhood Right. You know, right. Gonna right. But she's coming I mean, as.
1: A, is this the first time you've seen Pyro and Avalanche? And... Yeah, uh, all of them except for the Blob right. and the Mystique are oh. new, which is which is kind of interesting. This is just a lot of infighting, but yeah, uh, she There's does a ask. a long
5: history of this. When you intro the team to show the infighting, yeah, they did it back in the Evil FF and FF thirty six to great effect. Well,
3: the the original. Uh, Brotherhood of Mutants was the same way. They're they were were always fighting. That's yeah. right. Always, they were
1: always fighting. Yeah. Uh, which is interesting because then the Blob turn down. Wasn't he invited to join? Yeah, and, but he turned yes. him down yeah. and he didn't join. Right.
0: Right. Yeah. He just went back to the circus and yeah. wanted to be left alone.
1: Uh,
5: uh, we see how that worked out.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Mistake is asking Destiny uh, what does the future hold? You know, because she's she can see into the future and she says that. What she sees is, I guess, that Kate has come back in time because this new random element has been affected. So before that happened, before Kate went, Kitty went back in time, was Destiny seeing the future of the apocalyptic future? Because was she seeing... That's a good question. How far does her foresight go? Wasn't she seeing that? Because if if, if Kate hadn't come back and they killed Senator Kelly, then all of the, uh, the apocalyptic stuff... That's that plays out. So wouldn't right. Destiny be seeing that, and they'd be like, "Oh, wait a minute! If we kill this guy, we're gonna get rounded up and killed." So unless, to your point, Brian, maybe she only sees uh, what she's asked, or, or or doesn't see that far into the future. Maybe she can't see. Um, yeah,
0: she's not like not like Doctor Strange in, in Endgame or Infinity <laughs> right. War. You know, looking at fourteen million probabilities.
4: I actually, yeah, I actually like that part, and I'm glad we're talking about this because you're right every time somebody has the ability to see to the future there's always this fog you know right, like all right yeah. not i can't see past this yeah. it's like give me a break either you have the ability to or not well so I, I, mean... I i i liked in the doctors how they portrayed it in the movie where dr strange right has this classic mm-hmm. line right of he went through what was it 14 million scenarios and there's only one
2: yeah.
4: <laughs> where we win
0: Or even in the Doctor Strange movie where the ancient one is, you know, seeing the future up to a certain point and then she can't see beyond it because, whoops, that's when
1: she... Spoilers for a five-year-old baby.
0: That's when she dies.
1: Well, Yoda says, always in motion is the future. It's hard to see. (laughs) Yes. And that's just a way of getting out of... Mm That things aren't set. That, you know, you can't change things.
0: Can anybody tell me another word to use for the facial description of Pyro other than Ponzi, Because that's what comes to my mind. <laughs> he just
5: what is like... Ponzi?
0: Yeah, well, I, again, I don't know. But that's what comes to my mind when I see him. I, I've heard Andrew Leyland use that term a few times.
5: Flamboyant.
0: But... Yeah.
4: Weird-looking guy. Out of his costume.
0: And in his costume.
4: Yeah. He's just an odd character.
0: Yeah. But, of course, Blob is,
1: you know, definitely the most charismatic of the group. Uh <laughs> Well, he seems a little smaller here. He seems awfully. He seems kind of short. I always thought the Blob well, was he's, pretty big. He's, he's never been like super sized. But whenever
0: artists draw him in, uh, you know, other comic book situations, you know, against the Hulk or or whatever, they seem to make him larger than life. Not realizing he is no larger than you know any other regular man. He just happens to be uh, obese.
5: Yeah.
0: I do
1: like like he says, I don't take orders from abroad. You know, he's not going to listen to this deke. And then he tells Pyro, blow it out your union jack, Limey. (laughs) I always thought Pyro was Australian, but maybe I'm. So did I. Maybe I'm wrong.
0: But, you know, it's funny because when we did a crossover, when we did that um, with Gene Hendrix a while back, we did uh, cover the blob and we were talking about him because, you know, remember, they gotten him shrunk down so small mm-hmm. and he kept falling through the earth. And I was like, that doesn't make any sense because even within that small, he's still just, you know, he's he weighs how much he weighs. And a six hundred pound, and I think they say he's like six hundred or six hundred and eighty pounds. I'm I'm pulling him up right now in Ohatmu. Um
5: yeah. They're hiding it. Well, I'm surprised that he says, I don't take orders from abroad, considering that he just took orders from his lawyer, his lady lawyer, (laughs) as he put it at the end of the last issue, which clearly was supposed to be Mystique, or Raven's uh, Darkholm, who visited him and and recruited him. He's just trying to take the lay
0: of the land to see who's the alpha here. That's all this is. Oh. It's, it's, you know, simple posturing to see who's the alpha dog
1: well yeah i don't think he sees the, the lawyer is his boss it's more like uh you know i'm not gonna
0: she told him how to
1: escape yeah but i don't think he sees that as, as taking i don't know it, it's it's yeah. i think it's just so this he, is just kind of made up conflict this is let's have he's a, five he was... foot i'm sorry he's
0: five foot ten and five hundred and ten pounds oh. Oh,
1: so he's not he's super tall but
0: uh yeah Okay, so on the next page, we, of course, see all this um, mundanity, I'll say. It's what the United States Senate, but that's not the Senate. Is that really the Senate building?
1: No. Uh, You got me.
0: Yeah, and Senator Kelly, you know, in in this room here, just it it doesn't look like the same one that Michael Corleone was in in Godfather 2, or the one that Tony Stark was in in Iron Man
2: 2. Well, I I think uh, it's
1: when this is, you know, Kelly's giving his little... Speech uh, about yeah. mutants, and then there's people talking in the background. And you know, one guy says he's laying it on a bit thick, and uh, uh, Maura, you know kind of whispers to Charles that you know he's already made up his mind and you know, mutant uh, registration mutants today, gas chambers tomorrow. Uh, but when Kate is discussing who we're telling when she comes back in time and she tells uh, the X Men who Senator Kelly is, she kind of paints a little. More of a positive picture, she says. He's he's a good man who thinks he's doing what's right. He's not some kind of uh, nut job that's just really trying to uh, lock everybody up. So, Mm -hmm. you know, or maybe that's the way history paints him later. You know, because do any of you
0: guys remember mention of Moira having a Nobel Prize, like they mentioned here? No. Um, I mean, that's a big thing.
5: Yes, but she um, was always. Recognized as an expert in in uh, mutants genetics, on yeah. Muir Island and genetics, but uh, it's not the secret agent that we've come to know in the the movie universe.
0: <laughs> yeah, true, true. And Senator Kelly is he like Ted Kennedy?
2: Mm, could
5: have been.
1: He looks could like that, but I don't know if he's he, if he's necessary. I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, uh, silver hair, silver grayer. hair, yeah, that that kind of crown. That Reed Richards look, um, yeah.
0: And then of course, uh, you know the guy sees uh, Angel, and uh, he, he really must have those wings tucked in nice under that 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 coat <laughs> and vest. And the, the the cameraman says, "Tell Lois to try for an interview." That's
1: but it's a nod at Lois Lane.
0: Well, who else would it be? Yes,
1: I do like the guy's wearing a a, a Mr. Bill shirt. The yeah. whoever the guy is, it tells him to get up. Uh... <laughs> yeah. oh. I didn't catch that. That's good. Yeah,
0: I didn't catch that till now.
1: Yeah. And Wolverine's uh, wearing his typical kind of bolo tie and uh, cowboy cowboy hat. hat. Yeah.
0: I'm trying to figure out if I can recognize any of these three guys at the table behind Kelly and Moira. Um, they look, I guess they're wearing turbans. Two of them. What? Well, two of them are wearing turbans. It looks like. It's hard to tell because they're so far in the background and they're. It, not as much detail, but then the wall starts to crumble. The cop notices, and uh, the, the police do work to get everybody out of the way. That was very nice. The wall's coming down, and then we're on the last page where you see the Brotherhood of Mutants, Destiny, Avalanche, Mystique, Hyro, and the blob in a onesie. That's that's a great costume, blob. I mean, everybody else has got their 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 costumes. I mean, Mystique's. Mm, kind of weird i mean she's supposed to be an an elder woman so would you want to be showing your legs at that age
3: mystique yeah no, not destiny mystique. i'm destiny. sorry
0: destiny huh. I, i've never never cared much for destiny's look or her costume but then again i, I don't care much for people that can see into the future
5: i she never was just a one-off i thought i wasn't anticipating her to continue ever
1: well, she's kind of Mistake's kind of adopted mother, right? She kind of is her yeah. mother figure. There is some relationship
5: between the two of them.
1: Yeah, later they made it out
0: to be, I mean, again, this is Chris Claremont. And he thinks every woman is a lesbian or part lesbian or bisexual. So he, he writes the possibility into every one of the, the stories. And so he had them being a couple. And then later on, someone made Mystique out to be a, a man.
1: I never I never got the impression I they don't were a couple. That. It was more, yeah. she was more her mother figure. It was, she was, mm. it wasn't, I never got an impression that Mystique and Destiny were romantically involved. Sure. I well,
3: think what it was, I later back on. on, that later. Can any no, of our I listeners
0: know, tell years. us on that? Because honestly, I have not gone that far down the rabbit hole on Mystique or Destiny. I do know that Destiny dies. Uh, several years later, uh, I don't know under uh, under what circumstances. I think it was like a natural causes kind of thing because well, she was older. She's as old as Aunt May. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, but then again, you know, as as the Brotherhood is about to come in and make their first attack, the X Men come down with a lightning bolt in the middle of the Senate Building, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and you know challenge the Brotherhood to fight. Yes, because that's the way that you make everybody love mutants.
4: Show them the destructive power that they
0: have. But it is a really, really cool, you know, head-on. Yeah, not head-on, but uh, you know the the face-off, the face-off shot. Five
1: well, I, 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 I think it's cool that Blob, you know, because you forget that Blob has not met these. He says, "You ain't X-Men, at least except for the winged bozo." So I mean, he ain't
0: is- the Brotherhood except for you. When you weren't <laughs> a member. <laughs>
1: it's a good not
0: like point. You've got room to say anything there, you know. <laughs> but um no it, and it of course is a great cliffhanger a great way to end the uh the issue and um bring us into the next one where spoilers everybody dies
1: yeah that that's a that's a more iconic cover almost
0: Yeah, you know,
1: and I guess 142 yeah yeah.
0: Yeah, and and I I feel it's it's weird because you know having the discussions that we had earlier, you guys talking about you know reading it later and not getting as much out of it as as you know those that, that were there at the time, it it really makes me feel like you know y'all missed out because it's it's like I, I don't know I I don't know any other way to describe it, um, but I mean it was one of those things that was just you know really really cool when it when it yeah, happened. Yeah, but I think a good about. story
1: should stand on its own it shouldn't really matter if it's a good story it shouldn't matter when agreed when you read it it should be just as and it, and we never said this is not a not a good story i just don't i just don't find a need to revisit a lot i think maybe because it's only two issues um i would read dark phoenix over this you know i
5: just caught something here you were talking about the guy who says tell those to try for an interview mm-hmm. on that same page where the guy says, holy, get out of here, you people, run for it. We can see two of them, Lois and Jimmy Olson, in the chairs. That could and be. The, yeah, that and could be. the next panel down, you only see Lois, you know, screaming.
3: That's pretty cool.
5: Yeah. I never I caught that until just now. Yeah. I was going to say, why are they highlighting this lady so and much? If, She's in red. And then all of a sudden, it dawned on me. It's like, oh.
3: It's, yeah and, and all ultimate, they had to do
0: was take that one guy in the bottom uh panel on, t- on the left side and put black hair on him instead of uh brown and you got Clark Kent
1: yep I thought of but that.
0: then this would have been a lot shorter of a fight
5: maybe <laughs>
1: well, I, I think with uh with Avalanche obviously he makes the wall kind of disintegrate they must alter his power because I always thought his because later he would he wouldn't use that kind of attack he would he would like gesture at the ground, and you would have like a wave, like seriously, mm-hmm. or something. And and here it just seems like his power is to cause things to uh, just crumble and disintegrate. Uh, he doesn't seem to be able to project waves or anything like he does later, where he can kind of, uh, you know, looks like you're, you know, you're in the ocean or something when you're on the ground, and he's you're know, being attacked by a wave or something. So, well, uh, it, it
0: says on the on the uh, other the previous page when they're introducing them, it says avalanche. Whose touch crumbles any solid object, creating an irresistible avalanche slash tidal wave effect with earth, stone, steel, anything. So the avalanche tidal wave effect is like a wave. You know, as 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 everything just shakes apart, as everything disintegrates and shakes apart, it, it has to be, I guess, moving away from him. And so uh I I, I don't know. I, I don't know if there if, if it's changed, but it, it seems to make sense to me.
1: Well, he's he's sea level, you know, him and Pyro and uh they don't they don't really amount to much, but
5: has Terra been introduced over in the Teen Titans yet?
1: Yes. I think so. so. I, I think so. I
5: take it as doesn't she have that same ability? She um, controls the earth.
3: Okay. She so controls is, the earth, she just doesn't shake it up.
5: Yeah, just like her brother
0: Geoforce. Yeah, he He, is. he can just blast.
1: he can just blast he's kinda of like uh Animal, and he just can just blast stuff out of his hands and he flies that way.
0: Yeah, well, he's able to control more than just Earth, he's able to control gravity, and so he was actually able to take on Superman that way.
3: Oh, and I, I'm checking, but I don't think Terra had been introduced yet because the new Teen Titans came out about the same time as this issue, so and she wasn't really yeah, until a couple years later.
0: Okay, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm getting things because Teen New Teen Titans really started around what 79 80 and then she was introduced. What, in the 20s? Or yeah, the, about 24 or yeah, so. Yeah.
3: 1982 is when she when she was introduced. December 1982.
0: Yeah, it. so we're, we're over a year away from... Uh, almost two years away from her yeah. uh, being introduced.
1: Let me ask you guys this, because then we can kind of talk about it when we do our next uh, show too, but how do you guys feel about this being revisited so many times? Uh, much like the Mirror Universe in Star Trek, how they did it once, then you kept kind of going back to it. So this gets... You know, obviously they bring in Rachel from the future, and she's joins um, Excalibur and hangs around for a while, and what eventually happens to her. But they keep revisiting this. Uh, Kirk, you had mentioned, you know, the, the Days of Future Present, which was in the annuals, wasn't it? And they bring in Ahab. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and they kind of keep it, going over and over it. Uh, and I think it's there's... a na- it's a natural thing because I think as part of the human
4: condition, you know, we we like the underdog story. You know, um, people like to say, oh, we're obsessed with, you know, dystopian, you know, post-apocalyptic stories. I think it's more of the underdog story, um, which is kind of what you see with the mirror universe, right? You get our our good characters in there where, you know, they're they're the underdogs because you've got these ruthless cutthroat versions of them. Um, Same with this, uh, with the X-Men here where, you know, there's, we don't know exactly how many are left right but there's not that many and they're up against this you know seemingly insurmountable force and so it can make for some good storytelling you know of how how do they basically outsmart this um juggernaut of power that's trying to to crush them i think tim you hit it on the head that rather than kind of half-heartedly revisiting this you know i would be fine with you know a 12 issue you know maxi i guess they used to call maxi series where um, they explore this future some more. I mean, at this point in, in comic uh, continuity, um, I don't know how closely you're following like DC stuff. DC has basically just given up and said, okay, we're just going to tell stories and they're just going to occur um, you know, whenever the writer and artist wants to place their story. And we'll just say it's- uh, There's no
0: continuity. This,
4: well, it's part of this infinite yeah. frontier, right? So they have you know, kind of a mainline you know, general continuity, and then they have all these offshoots. And so it doesn't restrict what stories can be told. So if you want to stay in just kind of the main continuity, you can just ignore all those stories because they don't have any impact on it. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, so Marvel has always done the same thing, whether it's been the what-if stories or, you know, expanding basically their universe whenever they feel like it, right? They just make up a new, you know, um, Uh, version of it.
0: You you mentioned that because like one of Burns mantras, you know, for himself was if there's something in the continuity that I don't like, I'm just discarding it and I, I don't need to think about it at all. Just leave it out. Nobody's bringing it up. Doesn't have to come back up. Whereas every other writer is just like, wow, you know, Professor Xavier said in issue four that he was in love with Jean Grey. Let's make that the basis for everything that makes Xavier a bad guy and the whole onslaught crap.
4: Well, there's there's <laughs> the tr- the trouble we get into now is that none of these series were ever originally intended to last for 50, 60, 70 years. Right. You now, um, so I I think like many folks, you have your own head head cannon and that's what you go with because it's impossible. You know, even for for me, we've talked about this before where. I don't go back to the golden age of Batman, even though I love Batman. I've read some of the stories and they're just not for me. They were written at a different time. Um, You know, I understand, I I value them from the historical perspective, but it's not part of my headcanon. Um, Same with a lot of the X-Men stuff, right? I came in late, late eighties, you know, and then the Jim Lee reboot, uh, you know, so my headcanon kind of starts around the Jim Lee time when he starts drawing in Uncanny X-Men and then of course he's just a, a, a an amazing presence in the nineties and that's okay. Uh, so I'm fine with if, if they want to do this, I think, you know, the change has been, they're just being upfront about it now to say, okay, we're just going to tell the stories that the writer and artists want to do. And we'll just make them sit outside of, you know, this continuity, you know, kind of the main through line. Um, so that, You know, if if you're not a huge X-Men fan currently, which there's another reboot coming for them, um, you could in in this example, you know, you could say, hey, if they're going to do Days of Future Past mini, maybe you just pick that up because that's a time that you enjoyed or that you enjoyed that particular story. And you don't have to worry about, you know, whatever is currently going on with X-Men or X-Force or or any of that. So I, I would be fine with it. I, In fact, I'd, I'd kind of like to explore explore this a little bit more, kind of the, the what we've been talking about, the questions of, you know, how far um, have the Sentinels taken over? You know, is it all yeah. of, you know, the United States and Canada? Is it just the United States? What, what are the rest? What is the rest of the world doing? Where are the you know, rest of our superheroes?
0: I think that there's a lot of discussion that we can have here, but I think that, we could probably table it until the next episode since it's the conclusion of the story Right. and right. there's so many other things. And, and we've got a couple things that we need to cover here anyway. Uh, as I understand it, we've got a couple emails and uh, then of course we also have a few more. I don't know if John, if you wanted to read more comments from the people um, from Facebook, but uh, Kirk, did you, did you have the emails to read?
5: I have one here. Uh, that give me a second to scroll back. It's a little bit long, but I read it once. Um, This is in regard to episode 70, the X-Men Elsewhere 16, 17, 18 chapters. It says, Hi, Tim, Brian, Kirk, and John. Just thought I'd comment on the podcast, having listened to it yesterday. First of all, I just want to say the X-Men was my favorite title back in the 1960s, and thanks to Claremont and Byrne, they became my number one again during the 70s uh, run. I was never really able. To, I was never really happy with the conclusion of the Phoenix saga. I hated the fact that they killed off Jean, but later I found that was at Shooter's insistence. Never liked him after that. Laugh out loud. So mm-hmm. I was really pleased to find out that Baron had started up the Elswin fan art, and it looks excellent, even though it's only pencils and partially finished artwork. Chapter 16 currently has a lot happening, with different X-Men split up all over the place. I agree with one of your comments that it can be a little mind-boggling to follow. Actually, it reminds me of the place and different events all happening at once in Byrne's X-Men The Hidden Years. I was surprised that Burns still brought the original Jean back in the same way from the bottom of Jamaica Bay, even though she was not destroyed on the moon in this retelling. However, I kind of like that it allows Scott and Jean to rekindle their romance without problems, i.e. Madeline Pryor or Jean with a child's intellect. I really like the artwork and shading on Nightcrawler's little run through the streets of New York. This would have looked awesome in color. Also, I had exactly the same thoughts. Uh, Read the strange debris-clearing machine on the Shari homeworld. It reminded me instantly of War of the Worlds. Chapter 17. Yay, Spider-Man. Burn also... Sorry. uh, I lost my place here. Yay, Spider-Man. Burn also likes a good guest appearance, and here it is. Spidey didn't really break the news about Amanda to Kurt very sympathetically, did he? <laughs> no. I love no. the picture of Superman, or I mean Gladiator, hovering above Jean and her family. Also liked Gladiator from his first appearance in X-Men. I felt the discussion you had about the Devari and how the X-Men were unsympathetic to their plight went on a bit too long. Okay, I see your point, but at the same time, they're trying to kill our heroes, so they're defending themselves too. And I only felt Kitty was the only, was only one the only one constantly referring to the aliens as walking salads and other derogatory comments. But as a teenager, that would be expected. <laughs> Is that the broccoli <laughs> people? Asparagus. Yeah. Yeah, Asparagus.
4: Very, yeah, we called them DeBarge. barge. I remember that. <laughs>
5: uh, Byrne was also doing this on his own time and not for publication. I'm sure the editors at Marvel might have insisted on a change for the X-Men's attitude toward the Dabari. Am I saying that right? Debari, anyway. No,
0: that's right. That's right.
5: Someone also brought up a point regarding the Dabari, can't remember who, referring to Avengers circa 128 and a situation involving the Kree and the Dabari clashing. That was correct. I may be mistaken here, but I think it was actually the plant-like aliens called the Katati in this particular story and not the Dabari. Uh, side note, I think he's right. I think he's right, right too. You're right. Yeah. Is, the, is
4: the Kotari the broccoli ones that got got annihilated by
5: um, Phoenix? By the Kree. Um I think it was the Dabari. Well, anyways, they're, maybe they're two separate races, but I thought they were the same. I guess I was in error. Great reveal of the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. I'm sorry, Brotherhood of the Evil X Men at the end of this chapter. This is an idea Byrne has been sitting on for a long time. I read about it in 1980. Chapter 18. Oh, how do you say this? Utah? Oh, Utah.
1: You-
5: Utah. Okay. Turning Tuning in on the various alternate realities seems to be an interesting development and must, constant, must certainly connect with the other Magneto and his mutants. Like the battle scenes between the X-Men and the Shari Imperial Guard, the artwork looked dynamic. I don't particularly like how Logan seems to be running around nude half the time, just growling like an animal still Byrne does not seem to be portraying him as the main character as much as he did in the x-men's 70 run the revisit of cyclops origin story with jack of diamonds was nostalgic for me plus the meeting with magneto pietro and wanda finally though i don't think everyone appreciated the last page featuring colossus as a big fan of Byrne's cessational shield I enjoyed the little skit between the artist and the character breaking the fourth wall. I enjoyed listening to you guys discussing these fan art stories from burn. I think they are better than anything currently being published these days. You can say that again. Uh, Look forward to future podcasts as well as listening to the older ones. I have missed signed Rick Sheffield.
0: Okay. I've actually got another one from Rick, but uh, did anybody have anything they wanted to comment on as far as what Rick said there?
5: I think he's right on spot on.
0: yeah, I mean, he he made some really, really good points. I think there was one thing I wanted to say back. you know the the uh, the about burn using the the Jamaica Bay uh, Kurt Busiek uh, bring gene back method. The one thing that it gives the X-Men is the it wasn't gene argument whenever anybody wants revenge on her. Because if they'd done it the old way where they just lobotomized her and she had the the, the intellect of a a five year old, and then she eventually became, you know, came back to normal, you know, anybody that wants revenge, well, there she is. And they, you know, that's who they would have to get revenge on. And it would always be a a difficult fight.
4: Yeah. A murderer is still a murderer.
0: Yeah. And now, and and again, as far as Jim Shooter goes, Jim Shooter didn't say kill her. Jim Shooter said that she needs to suffer. The consequences of her actions. Right. And he said, you know, I mean, like, have her be sentenced to go to some planet where she has to cut rocks for the rest of her life. And that's when Byrne and Claremont said, "Well, we'd be better off just to kill her.
1: Send her to Ruerpente. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Or uh, did Yaltos. Good. Or the that Kessel Mines. Mind. Yeah, Someone but uh,
0: so I mean, I mean, go ahead, John. I'm sorry. I'll shut up.
3: John? Does somebody talk. Yeah, I was going to say that someone brought up a good comment that Galactus never received that kind of an edict, so... <laughs> I, well, Galactus, I agree. Galactus
0: got his own trial, and he was found not guilty by... but a...
5: that's years down the road.
1: Yeah, true, true. This is true.
5: He's a force
3: of the universe. He can't yeah, he's old, not.
1: Right. It's, it's like trying to hold a, a tornado... Yeah. Uh, accountable he is the for Alpha tearing your house up. Omega. That's right. Not at
3: this time he wasn't. That was something that Byrne brought up four years later.
5: Now Magneto has also been portrayed as a murderer or vicious enough to kill. Yet, when he was reverted back to a child and then advanced forward again, yeah, he was still a major villain, but somehow that's all right. We have glossed over the fact that Magneto has been a murderer, but yet we want to hold Gene gray to a higher standard to to you know to pay for her crimes more than we make magneto or any other villain she
4: she did obliterate an entire planet oh i agree yeah hey kirk but it's interesting
5: go ahead
1: no well um, my comment is why do you say magneto is isn't it considered magneto or are we saying it wrong who's saying it wrong you're
5: right um I'm not picking as on you, kid. I'm just saying
1: you say magneto, I just didn't know These are what we say.
0: Important
4: wrong. questions that people need to know the answer.
0: Potato, potato, magneto, magneto. Yeah.
5: Yeah. When I was a kid, I read it as a magnet, and I'd never heard the expression magneto, which I understand is a device that was in under the hood of automobiles. Yes. And so they're two separate concepts in my head. Mm. So I'm probably the one that's
1: saying it wrong. It's like Igor and Igor. Um yeah. a submar- the
3: submariner. Exactly oh, so.
0: That's, There's all these memes now about that It's hilarious And they're using Sean Connery for the Submariner I caught side that
1: yeah. That was a good one
0: Yes, that was funny
1: Well, Brian, we want to read uh, one I was going to read one Do we want to read one more?
0: Yeah, go ahead And, and you got the MTU-70
1: Right, episode 55 With yeah. the team yes. up with uh, the Back to the Benz boys This is also by Nigel Spank or Rick Serfield which, However we want to identify him
0: I want to go with Rick Sheffield. That's just his email address.
1: Okay. Uh, hi there, Brian, Tim, etc. and all. Which Sorry guys, you guys weren't included. Firstly, I'd like to say that I'm a big fan of John Byrne's work. Right from the mid-70s when I first discovered his art as titles such as Iron Fist, Marvel Team-Up, and Champions, he has been my favorite artist. I've always, uh, I've almost, everything Byrne did whilst at Marvel and even some stuff from the distinguished competition. I just uh, recently discovered the Third Degree Burn podcast and was was delighted to find a podcast dedicated to Mr. Burn's work. So I listened to the Back to the Bins episode covering Marvel Team Up number 69 and the continuation Third Degree Burn issue number 70. Looking through both my issues as I listened, I have to agree with you guys uh, on the artwork. Whilst the artwork is subtly is thoroughly good throughout. Issue seventy does seem slightly better, and dare I say, more dramatic. The panels in number seventy do somewhat remind me of Neil Adams' style, and the coloring is lighter and clearer than in sixty-nine. Also, as I mentioned in the podcast, also as was mentioned in the podcast, Spider-Man looks better in the second part of the story, probably due to uh, Duzanunga's finishes. Uh, to be honest, uh, the whole Claremont Byrne run on Marvel Team Up was great, and I have them all in my collection. The stories were all well thought out and well paced, with Byrne's art making them a visual delight. Sometimes I felt the inking was a little too dark and overpowering, especially when the colors were also dark, too. Nighttime scenes. But that wasn't enough to put me off. I can tell you, I can tell that you guys feel the same way about Burns work as I do, and I really enjoy listening to the discussion. I only wish I could join in I'm looking forward to listening to more of your podcast, Rick Sheffield, Marvel Raider for 54 years. Hello. Well, thank you, uh, I like this guy, Rick. Yeah, he's. We're gonna have to, you know, as we've proven, if you write in enough, we invite you on the show. So somebody's gonna yeah. have to go. We only have we can only have five. So who's gonna? Be? <laughs>
0: I'll take a vacation.
5: <laughs> I think Davis had to drop off, uh, so we'll we'll just fill in his slot for today
0: okay well yeah uh, david david's kids got his birthday party going so david had to had to leave. To, to leave but i think you know we've we've covered everything not everything but we've covered all the, the the high points on this uh i definitely would like to to hear from uh our listeners um you know rick and and the other guys uh, <laughs> um you know their experiences with days of future past especially the first book we'll be talking of course more about it in our next episode but please write us like Rick here has done at gotta get burned at gmail.com or leave us a review on uh, Apple podcast, formerly known as iTunes. We've got five reviews on there. We need many, many, many more. The more reviews we get, the more exposure we get, more people learn about us. And that's, you know, I mean, we want to get the word out. This is the only John Byrne podcast done by this illustrious group I, there are other people that are recording John Byrne stuff uh, but they're not doing it exclusively um, like we are exclusively uh, Michael Fitzgerald Troy is probably the closest but he's he's covering other things as well and he's doing it as a uh, as a YouTube thing where it's more like an index show anywhere where he's covering everything um, but I don't think he's he's giving it the kind of coverage that we are but uh, it still can be interesting uh, you know a, a, a uh, uh you know, to sit there and read along with him because he's actually going through page by page uh, on there.
1: Well, hopefully when the new, I know it's in the works, when the new website, is, I think it's close to being up and running, uh, mm-hmm. they're going to have a comment section on each episode. Yes. So that, you should be, we should be able to get more direct feedback because they can comment in the list. I'm assuming it's going to be, as as the the episodes are listed, you can comment there. You won't have to worry about writing an email or necessarily going, you can kind of comment. So hopefully that'll, that'll, uh, give us some more feedback.
0: All right. Anybody got anything else? Any last words, thoughts, comments?
1: No, I'm, I, to, I'm good. Uh, to Brian's point, I'm, I'm interested in maybe if, if anybody's listening to this, uh, before the next episode comes out, uh, get on Facebook cause we discussed a little bit about how, when you're reading this story, you know, if you're reading it, you know, I would love to see, hear from somebody who's read this in say the last five years, and having all of that his, history behind it and it's been hyped up, how did you read it? You know, did it meet your expectations? Was it, did you feel it was a little overblown? So I'm how kind of curious. It that, you,
2: yeah. Yeah,
1: you know, uh, if you're, you know, just curious if you're reading this out of context, like we discussed, uh, how that, how that goes. So, um, yeah, just drop that into Facebook or write us an email, you know, either way. But I, other than I think I'm good. I think we've done a good job of covering this.
5: It's been uh, very enjoyable. John, you got any last words? No, not for me. Kurt, fun, great story. No, oh, no, I'll save my comments for next episode about the the uh, the alternate history and whether it continues. We'll do that next issue, next episode. All
0: right. Well, here comes my uh, <clears throat> Andrew Leyland imitation. <clears throat> next time, on an all new episode of Third Degree Burn, we complete the Days of Future Past storyline with X Men One Forty Two. And, uh, I mean, we still may have some things following up after that. Uh, it looks like we might uh, get an interview or two um, special guests, and uh, we'll tell you more about that as we uh, get closer to it. Thank you for joining us for this uh, this coverage. I've been looking forward to this one for quite some time, and uh, I'm glad that we were all able to get on and do that. So uh, for Third Degree Burn, I'm Brian Hughes. This is Tim Elliott. Say goodnight, Tim. Good night. This is John Hyatt.
3: Good night. Bye. There's know, Kurt so Greenfield. A- Good night.
0: <laughs> and uh saying goodnight for David Thompson uh, is me, and I'm not gonna say my name again because I already said it. Everybody have a great week, and uh, we'll see you soon. Jesus Christ, Doc, you disintegrated Einstein! Calm down, Marty, I didn't disintegrate anything. The molecular structure of both Einstein and the car are completely intact. Where the hell are they? The appropriate question is, when the hell are they? You see, Einstein has just become the world's first time traveler. I sent him into the future. One minute into the future, to be exact. And precisely, 1.21 a.m. in zero seconds, we shall catch up with him at the time
5: machine. Wait a minute. Wait a minute, Doc, Uh, are you telling me that you built a time machine
2: out of a DeLorean? The way I see it, if you're going to build a time machine into a car, why not do it with some style?
1: Thanks for listening. You can find us and many other great shows at tutufreaks.com. That's twotruefreak scom Third Degree Burn is spelled with the number three, R-D-D-E-G-R-E-E-B-Y-R-N-E, and is part of the Tutu Freaks network of shows. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Just look for Third Degree Burn, spelled with the number three, and burn spelled B-Y-R-N-E.
2: Just wanna watch the world burn.